Listen in. Thanks for doing just that. Music, music has some sort of magical, maybe mystical thing happening, and I couldn't be more sucked in. I love it. You see, I want to live life better, unless I'm in some sort of funk and all I want to do is wallow. Songs, artists, musicians, lyrics—they help me in all sides of life. They're like lifts in my shoes. I walk a little taller. My shoulders are on my back. Yeah. Bring on life. Bring it completely on. Bring on life. So I'm full of questions and I listen in. Luckily or hopefully, I travel with a recorder and open SM58 microphones. You've got questions. I've got more. I'm Frank Jenks. I began listening with a syndicated radio program, interspersing conversation pieces with songs and subject matter. And now, I just want to offer this fullness, the greatness, the insight directly from rock stars to you this way. You know how a conversation is more than what you expected? Time becomes irrelevant and part of life seems significant. When we share thoughts and experiences and they connect in some micro-intersection of our understanding. Tiffany, also known as Plum, she shares, she reveals, she gives us a free view of her, of her top-down struggles in the grace that pulled her through. We recorded this on December 3rd, 2012. Hey, that would have been my dad's birthday. Via Skype between our two proverbial corners of the house. But last time we talked, you talked about so much that you went through to get to this place. I guess, can, can you start talking about that already? Um, well, I wrote the record. Bef- way, I mean, the record was recorded, mixed, mastered. I mean, just the whole night. I mean, it was literally wrapped up in a tiny little bow um, about a month before I went through what I've called winter because it actually was winter of 2011, mm. 12. Um, and I, I could not have written this record after that. I don't think I don't think that it was it would be possible to write this record after that. Just had I experienced that winter before this record, I think it was just too deep and too dark and too emotional and too convoluted to be able to wrap my mind around I don't know. I, I think there's a way that I mean I'm gonna write absolutely I mean I already have started writing post winter. But I think the way that this record was written, everyone that is close to me listens to it and almost, I get two comments. I get that it's spooky or that it's prophetic mm. in how they say, had I, had I not known that you wrote this before that winter, I would have thought you wrote this whole record about the winter. And right. so I feel like, um, not to get into any real theological debates here but I feel like I mean God knows everything and um, so it's like you know for someone to argue did he know that this was going to happen to you and you know should he have intervened differently and all these kind of things and I I don't like to get into those discussions because I just believe God is God and he's faithful and he's trustworthy and just and um, so in in the ramping up I was just doing what I feel like I do best. I was taking things that inspired me 
emotionally, um, always emotionally inspired by things that are really tragic. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're always extremes. There's, there's always an extreme that inspires me. Just something so joyful and free or something so catastrophic or chaotic or depressing or hurtful. Um, crisis and tragic and just darkness um, because I have such a hope and so no matter how dark of something I'm writing about I feel like because my identity is really in the hope of God or at least I thought it was and there's you know I went through a winter that I found out that maybe it wasn't always in him the way that it should be but anyway, that thread, I think, runs through songs. So no matter if I'm writing about self-injury or sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse, verbal ab abuse, just abandonment, there's this thread of hope. And sometimes you can only find it sonically. You can only find it in the music. Because lyrically, what I'm talking about is just so maybe heart-wrenching or... Um, in a word, sad, that you're like... How is there hope here? But if you just listen to the whole package. And so I've tried to always be an artist that musically is trying to not just lyrically address what the song is about, that I really want my, my vocals, like the emotion of my vocals to connect and sonically for the music to connect. And that sounds like a given, but the truth is there are artists without naming them that don't you can tell someone else wrote the song. They are performing the song, but they're not necessarily selling it because they're not really connected to the to the music, whether it's emotionally or lyrically or both. And so that, I think that is a perk to writing my own music is that I mean what I'm saying because either I've lived it or I have truly been inspired by it to write about it. I've not been told, hey, go write a song about love today. Um <laughs> Or you're going to live it. Or you're, you know, yeah, or I'm going to live it. And so I, I really believe in what I'm talking about. It's not just a A&R guy saying, you know, we need a song that you at least... I mean, there was a time in my career where I had someone say, you know, you don't have enough of this. And as hard as it was... Well, I shouldn't say as hard as it was. It was too hard to go and get in that box and write that. Like when someone said, you, you you're you're neglecting to have you know this content then you get in the studio and you're like okay today we are going to write about this <laughs> I don't know that that pressure puts me in a box I have to come in with just an open canvas and conversation and suddenly like it just starts leaning itself to here and when it does um, that's when the the magic happens that's when the most beautiful things are written um, as opposed to okay today so-and-so is looking for a song so we need to write a song for them or you know. Right. Yep. My publisher said we need to write a song about right. blah, blah, blah. And so it's, I can do that. Right. I can deliver a song. But I'll tell you what, I don't think it's the best of the best. And I don't think it sells as well because you can right. feel the force. So this record was not forced. These are diary moments mm. brought to life through poetry and music and art and every story on this record is true and every story on this record has a real place that it came from and then after it was completely done literally we, we walked out of the master Ainsley's studio he mastered the record 
or mix, I'm sorry, mix the record. We left Ainsley's studio for mixing and it was like, it's done. Wow, it's been a two year journey and it's done. And then the bottom fell out. Like the bottom fell out of my life about three weeks later. And so it was just, so for me, I, I don't hear this record in a spooky way. I hear it in a prophetic wow. way. And because of that, there's a hope there that God, God knew and he was present and he stayed. And so that's the story. In so a nutshell. you had no, so, no inkling that the bottom was going to fall out even now when you look back? None. You still, where it was the no. tablecloth was pulled out from under all the dishes and... Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've always been kind of a... Um, and this is funny that I would say this. I did not plan to say this. Um, but I have... And this is an ego issue. This is a, a pride issue that I would never have thought about myself. But I have always felt a little bulletproof in the sense that I, the, the home that I was raised in, the life that I've lived, I'm 37 years old, and I've seen pain and I've experienced hurt. But in a nutshell, I feel like I've had it pretty easy, and I've almost felt like I've been given this platform to represent those who have been hurt, this platform to speak for those who have suffered. And so I, I've almost felt like maybe God allowed me or put the opportunity in front of me to be faithful with, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. And I do believe there's some, some truth to that, that there are things that I have spoken and sung and, and uh, been a part of that I, I have been a voice for, and I don't want to discredit that. But, yeah. And I certainly don't think he felt like, for your music to really sell, <laughs> you've got to be the one that you know suffers. Um, I, I don't think that is true either, but I, I will say up until this record, um, the hurt that I had suffered had been pretty minor compared to those that I've been... I, I was not a cutter. And the girl that inspired the song Cut about cutting, she was a, a real cutter, and her story really impacted me. And so um, so when I write about stuff, it is, it is really, really true. But the really hard stuff is because I've been so moved by someone that I feel, wow, I, I've... How is it that I've been protected from that experience? Or I'm meaning, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a fan or a friend or a family member that has had extensive sexual abuse. And I'm like, man, I, I'm so thankful I was protected from that. And I'm not, I've never thought I was better. I've just felt almost like, man, is there some favor that he's shown me that I have been so protected from such pain and here's this platform to speak for them. And and again, not to discredit that maybe some of that is true, that he has pr protected me or allowed me to live in such a way that I could be a voice for those that couldn't speak for themselves. But now, I've gone through some really hard stuff this last year of my life that pales in comparison to the pain that I've went through in my life prior. And now I see that when you really, really, really suffer, it is very difficult to sing and speak and write about that because you're so, it's so deep and so painful. So having written about cutters for se, per se, it makes sense to be a voice for them because it's really hard for them to verbalize that. Yeah. 
And so now I think from a songwriting standpoint, it is hard for me to verbalize what I went through. So I'm really thankful that this record was already written so I could kind of use it to say what I would want to say had I been writing it now, because I just don't know that I could. Um, so I know that listeners are probably like, what was it? What is she talking about? Mm. But um, And Frank, too. But anyway. <laughs> me, too. I mean, yeah. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. When, you're, when you're going through the hard stuff, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I always, I, I want to know because if it happens to me or if it's already happened to a friend or if, or if my wife's going through it, how can I help? You know, right. do I just put on the plum record or do I say, here's, here's how Tiffany made it through. Right. Well, um, it's every, every song the record's titled faster than a bullet. That was also already decided, um, because there's a lyric on the record, um, that is pulled from a song called at arm's length. Yep. And, um, there's a line where I say, love is faster than a bullet. It's the perfect remedy. And every time I would sing it when we were, um, we actually, that particular song, now that I, <laughs> funny that I would say every time I sing it, that is the one take. We, that was the rough, the scratch. It was the, um, I never sang it twice. It was the only time I sang it on the record. Um, but every time I would hear it, mm -hmm. I, would, I would hear love is faster than a bullet, faster than a bullet, faster than a bullet. And so I titled the record that, and because it just that, that phrase just grabbed me. And um, every time it would just always grab me, it would always stand out. And what's funny is it means, when you say love is faster than a bullet, it's the perfect remedy. Love is the ultimate healer. And if you take any moment and you choose love in that moment, it's gonna look differently when you choose love, but in every situation on this record, ultimately love is the answer. And so how ironic that, that it applies to every song that, that love is the remedy, love is the healer, love is the best choice, um, love is what's going to get you through it. And so I just, I don't know, and so I guess it's sort of ironic that I felt bulletproof to be honest, I felt really bulletproof. And so um, from anything where my marriage is not, you know, I might go through all kinds of things in my life, but my marriage is one thing that's not gonna suffer. Um, I may go through a lot of things in my life, but no one close to me has ever had cancer. Um, I may go through a lot of things in my life, but my house would never be foreclosed on. You know, I may go through a lot of things in my life, but, um, my, my brother would never um, excommunicate me from right. his life. You right. know, I, you know, just there's, you know, because I grew up with a very beaver cleaver fantasy in my mind. And um, I've had a complicated relationship with my parents since I left home. And so I, I have friends that knew me in high school that saw what I wanted them to see they saw Leave It to Beaver. And of course I was Wally, the beave. Um, <laughs> um, and they, they saw that. And so for them to maybe run into me in passing or you know, a random Facebook message or something where they'll say, you know, I've, I've seen some of your posts or just wanted to catch up. How are you doing? How are your parents? How are you, you and your brother? Like they'll just you know, address things that were then 
And some of them are blown away to find out what now is of just what? I, I thought you, you and your family were this way or you and your brother were always so this way or you know, you were such a good steward of your money or you were you and your husband were like, you know, the epitome of what everyone wants or, you know, I, I don't know. And it just and, and I I had opinions about people who took medicine hmm. and now I take medicine and I had opinions about people who had their son in Target and they were throwing tantrums and, you know, I have one that throws tantrums and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I've so just, you're so very human. Yeah. And I just, you know, I had this. There's, you know, I have three children, two boys and a girl, and my first was sort of one of those textbook angel babies who has one of the the biggest challenges with ADD that I never expected him to have, um, for him to be so loyal and so wise and so sweet and so smart and just, you just, and then he, he starts academically in, entering the pipeline of kindergarten and first grade, and then you see, you know, my son is the one that's, having some accidents. My son is the one that the teacher is saying, I really love him to death. He cannot pay attention to save his life. And you're like, so all these right. things in my life that I didn't, I didn't anticipate being my story. I anticipated it being the story of others that I would talk about, that I would sing about, that I would tell about. And now, I, I, not that I, I wasn't part of society, but it's like, now I realize I am really like everyone else. We are all in this together. There is not some separatist angle for Tiffany, the lead singer of Plum. Like, she's one of you. I am the wife. I am the mother. I am the sister. I am the daughter. I am the friend. Right. And I've had some real challenges in every aspect of those statuses in my life and those relationships in my life that really God just you know, was present with me and went through with me. And he is the only reason I'm able to sit here and have this interview with you today. His, his consistency and his presence and his provision and his forgiveness and his healing and his love and his hope. Those are the only things that brought me to this moment right now. And so I am excited for people to find that on this record in every story, whether at arm's length that was written about one of the worst arguments my best friend and I have ever had. Um, I am confident I have the best friend that anyone could have ever asked for. She is, she is everything you would want in a best friend and more. And I have taken her for granted. I have not been the friend to her that she's been to me. And she has loved me enough to be honest with me about things and she's loved me enough to lose me she's loved me enough to um, say things that were tough with grace not knowing what would happen on the other side and so at arm's length is about us having this argument and how we kind of go in circles about things and sometimes at the end of the day not sometimes but always at the end of the day we're, we're trying to come back to this one place of reconciliation with each other because we love each other so much and I was so moved like I was really emotional when we were writing at arm's length that I took the bullet mic in my hand I was sitting on the couch in the studio and Matt just started creating this track that we both were really inspired by and so he has his back to me almost all the time in songwriting he's 
building a track that he's musically inspired by and and I can edit as far as with you know my words of like oh go a little bit a little bit more minor or what if you added this in there like I definitely contribute but then he can turn around and say I love what you just said why don't, why don't you rephrase that though or I love what you just said but you know stop at the second sentence forget the third one or you know so we really do play off of each other we really work well together and there's a great chemistry there and this song I almost wish we had a video camera rolling for at arm's length for people to see it truly was written spot-on impromptu in the moment and I'm holding the bullet mic and um, I just say maybe we can heal each other and he turns around and he was like keep going keep going and I was like maybe this won't hurt forever and it literally just kept coming. I don't want to push you away. I don't want to hold you at arm's length. I don't want to push you away. It's just a knee-jerk reaction. And he and he stops. And he's like, what did you just say? Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, my, my best friend and I just had the worst argument. And it's like it's knee-jerk reaction for me to just distance myself when she's being too needy or her to get tough with me when I'm being too selfish. And... And he's like, Tiffany, I'm just gonna put this in the red. Just keep going and and um Wow, 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 wow. And but but when you listen to it, if you're my really good friend Leona Verbanic in Ohio and you're mm. in my car and you're visiting me and you wanna hear a cut off the new record and I play that for you, she turns to me and says, Is this about you and Jeremy? Is this about what's been happening between you and Jeremy? And I began to weep and say, no, can you believe that it's not about me and Jeremy? It's actually about me and Melissa. But you would think that it's now about me and Jeremy. And um, so that is so powerful. And I remember sitting in my, my van. Yes, I drive a van because I have three kids. And <laughs> I had pride issues with that, by the way. I got a mohawk. I cut my hair in a mohawk the day after, four days after I got a van. But she's sitting there. And I will tell you what, in that moment of her connecting what I was going through with something that I had written long before it had happened, even though it was not written about the same thing, the connection gave me hope because there was a part of me that felt like God knew. He knew that I wrote this song. It's been, it's been written and recorded for months. He knew, and for someone so close to me to connect it to where I am right now gave me hope that if God knew that this song was on this record and God's a a part of my life and he's been present with me as I've walked through this winter maybe he's faithful maybe he really is God and maybe I'm gonna be okay and maybe I don't have anything to be afraid of really because ultimately he's in control so I've got to trust him and so it was a really amazing very very powerful moment in my life when Leona was like Tiffany you wrote this isn't about you and what what you know and it was just and so and I told my best friend of course that day I was like hey you know the song I wrote about you and she's like yeah listen to it again today and she did and she was like oh gosh yeah wow and so I I'm I could talk for hours about this so I can keep I can keep going Frank or you can just cut me off and guide my 
Well, do you, do you want to talk about what the bottom was? Yeah, I'll talk about the bottom was. I, I've I've learned and kind of rehearsed, and with the the um, blessing of my spouse to kind of address um, without shaming or getting too detailed or naming names or things that don't really need any more airtime. Um, but in an effort to celebrate the beauty that came from ashes, like to be able to celebrate that, you have to kind of backtrack and say, here's what the ashes looked like. Can you believe yeah. beauty came from this? Um, yeah. Um, so the bottom dropped out. I mean, the record was finished in October of 2011. Um, some people get surprised by the, you know, amount of time that it takes to actually find it in a store or buy it on iTunes by the time you think, oh, this was written that long ago, but it's a really long process sometimes to make things great. And um, yep. so we leave the mixer's house and it was in October and um, November comes and um, my husband and I own a school. We um, started a Montessori school and uh, a few years ago that's doing amazing and I'm just such an advocate for that kind of education so that that was flourishing but there's a lot of stress with that because sure. it was a huge um, monetary investment a huge financial investment and so there's you know a little bit of that high and low of when the schools you know doing great that's great when the school is having a kind of a struggling moment or you lose a student or two or something like that um, ultimately the responsibility is on our shoulders and my husband is also diabetic and so you know if he forgets medicine or if he's eaten some things that maybe his body doesn't necessarily appreciate the way yours or mine does um, right. you know he can he can have a, a rougher day than another day and but in general I have I'm married to the most consistent attitude of a person. He's just in a good mood all the time. He's a problem solver. He's goal oriented. He manages time well. Um, multitasks he's very a, well. He's track number three. <laughs> I forget which one that is. I don't have the order in my beautiful. head. Oh yes, he's he's beautiful. beautiful. He is beautiful. Um, anyway, uh, we we met. We married about a year and a half after we um, were dating, and. Uh, we had just celebrated our 11th anniversary this past winter and um, at the same time there's been some financial stresses in owning a school and there's been some health concerns with his diabetes and he would also had his um, tonsils removed which at 35 is a major surgery as opposed to when you're five um, it's right. a really big undertaking for him and so there had been some health stuff and um, so he had been acting um, a little grumpier than usual and um, a little more distant, but I knew there was a lot on his mind and a lot on his plate. And I had been very consumed with finishing the record with his blessing of just, we've got to get this finished. And so um, November comes and uh, he says to me, I, I don't know that I, I want to stay married to you. And it was almost as blunt as I just said to you. Well. Um, so blunt that I called his physician and asked if there was anything 
medically that I needed to know why would he's acting very strange. Um, and so we spend the next month, um, where I am almost every single day of that month, I'm losing about a pound a day and not on purpose. I'm stressed. I'm fearful. I don't know what's going on. And it, it literally was a, a, a conversation that we would never have. And conversations about not staying together, conversations yep. about being separated. And in my mind, I actually could not believe it. And there was a day when I drove down my road and pinched my arm really, really hard on purpose, thinking, is this a nightmare? Like, am I in the worst dream of my life? And and it really hurt when I pinched. And I was like, this can't be, this cannot be happening. And I'm, and I'm, I'm literally beginning to unravel and it's just the worst Christmas of my life. And, um, two days after Christmas, um, he moved out mm. and, um, and we were separated and there's a lot of reasons in there that I won't go into. Um, just like I said, I feel like the enemy would love to celebrate the airtime that he got for that season. But, um, we, we were losing our marriage and after New Year's we got a call from the bank and we were not living in the same house and we got a call that said you actually might lose your house and I said what um, because we had in all of that madness of November December we had missed our payment and we missed another payment um, one of which was, I think, because of an oversight and the stress and the chaos that was going on. And then the second one was because that's something that he handled and now we were apart. And mm. um, I... So you got a lot of major stressors going on there, sister. Major stressors going on. And so, you know, the manager calls and says, you know, you haven't been updating your Facebook status for a few weeks. What's going on? And, and I say, you're going to have to take over some of the tweeting and the Facebooking because um, my husband and I have separated and um, we also might lose our house. And so um, I am in a black hole and I am scared and I'm wondering what I've done wrong and seeing, literally seeing a blackness in my husband's heart that I had never seen before. And although I was devastated and hurt, as someone can imagine, and you have this broken heart because of this person that you love, more than that, I was scared for him because I saw the enemy infecting his life. I saw the enemy taking him away. And I was just able enough just able enough to see this is not of God it's just not it's darkness and I have to have my whole hope in the one true light because I have so much confidence that what's happening here isn't of you God and I know that you're more powerful so what do I do? And I think I spent the first 
six weeks of that separation, which felt like six months or six years. Um, yeah, right. I spent that time orchestrating, manipulating, you know, lashing out at times, having angry moments, depressed moments, sad moments, um, fearful moments, and knee-jerk reactions to trying to put this back together. And you're trying to own what's yours, but in your mind you're like, what have I done? And you start, you go to counseling, and you go to the chiropractor, and you get adjusted, and you go to the physical doctor, you know, the, the I literally did these things. I went to the physician and had a physical, and um, I, uh, I, yeah, I went to counseling, chiropractor, physician, um, I went and had my brain waves monitored, or, uh, monitored where they do this, this thing called brain core therapy, and they monitor your brain waves that came back and said, you are extreme inattention, which is also known in traditional terms as ADD, and no one had ever told me that to my face before. And, um... And so I'm meeting with a counselor, and she says, well, you know, it's not a problem until it interferes with your life, and something's obviously interfering with your life. All you can work on is you. All you can change is you. You can't change your kids. You can't change your husband. You can't. And so I got a real big speech from her about getting out of God's way and being willing to hear hard truth and work on myself. So whether whether my husband was making choices that he should have been making or not, I can only own what's mine and I can only change what's mine and trust God to redeem that. Even if that means that I end up a single mother, God is still redemptive. And so I don't tell this story to say that if someone's marriage ends in divorce that their life is over. There's still redemption. There is still a God that can take whatever mistakes we've made and whatever regrets that we have and, and turn them into beautiful. And so it was February 7th and I had finally gotten out of his way. And when I, and I say his way, I mean God's way. And I just walked away. I had resolved that if my husband was going to file, he was going to file. Um, I had resolved that everything that we had built in this history that we had, there was still value there. And I was very careful to, to guard my children from all this. My children still don't know. And it's my hope that they hear this story in the most healthy way, that right. they see what God did and how powerful the enemy is and how much more powerful God is. And um, that was February 7th. And in that span of, in the span of the next five days, um, I was released. I felt almost a sadness from being released of like, uh, I'm so literally so in love with God. And I've described it this way that some friends of mine have kind of snickered, but I had, I, I was having this love affair with, with Christ in a way that I'd never had before. And it was like, he will never leave. And he will always provide. He will always protect. He is faithful. He will always come through. And I can always count on him. And I realized in that moment, in those five days, that I had replaced the first commandment with Jeremy. I had spent the last decade plus really relying and having an identity in my marriage and in my husband more than my creator. And so I don't think that God 
thrust my husband into a, a, a cold, dark place for me to get my self together. But I think that because we live in a fallen world and evil exists and bad things happen, in that moment, God gave me a choice to take this as a moment to know him better and see this as a burden that I was being entrusted with or to get angry with him and disconnect and give in to what I believe the enemy would have wanted me to do. And so in his grace and in his power and in his mercy, I chose him and I said, you, you are enough. And if you're all that I'm going to have, I'm going to have to be okay. And so I'm going to quit orchestrating. I'm going to quit manipulating. I'm going to quit trying to call my husband's best friends and tell them to get in his face. And I'm going to quit, you know, looking at him funny when we're around the kids together with this snarl, you know, this gnarl on my face or whatever. And I'm going to be willing to reconcile and to be willing to forgive and to be willing to trust and be willing to, to fix this. I'm going to be willing to do that. And I had this image of Jesus on the cross that he had the power to pull himself off and prove to everybody, I'm the son of God. See? Booyah. <laughs> but he didn't. He stayed, knowing I would sin, knowing I would betray him, knowing I would disobey, knowing I wouldn't listen, knowing I would reject. He prayed for me while he was up there, and he stayed. And I was like, that's how I want to love. So I'm going to be faithful to him, and I'm going to be willing to forgive, and I'm going to be willing to wait. Because I had this hope in Christ that what was happening was clearly not of him. And if I could just wait on him to do his work, he would be faithful. And when I say that his work, there was a work in me that needed to take place. And regardless of what needed to happen in my husband's life. And... February 12th, five days into this love affair, just this freedom, because it was like I was literally having a crush on God. Like I was just having a crush and I couldn't wait to read my Bible. It was the first time in my life I could not wait to read my Bible every day. And I was like, this is sad. I've grown up in the church my whole life and I'm just now excited to see these love letters that he writes to me every morning and, and just spending time with him and praying and and reading and talking and actually having dialogue instead of it just and so um so here I was in this just love affair with him and this lift that has been um, given to me from that this weight of, of changing my husband um, because I was learning that I too needed change this wasn't just my husband needing to be changed this was me too and um, my husband asked what we were doing after church one evening, and I said, we're going out to pizza at Five Points Pizza. And he said, can I meet you? Can I join you all? And I was like, sure. And I, and I still had a little chip on my shoulder as far as wanting to act like this overly confident single mother, um, like I had it all together. And I met him for pizza, and I didn't look him in the eye for a while. And um, we had, you know, our pizza. He had actually gotten there first, so he would ordered the pizza in our beverages and so we're kind of you know we're interacting with the children and trying to keep them protected and by the way if someone's listening to this they may wonder how my children didn't know my children you know were uh three five and six and i was very creative with 
my language of, oh, you know, daddy has a project he's working on. And we were um, in the middle of trying to sell this house that we were hoping to not have to foreclose on. And, um, and so I would, you know, say, well, because we're trying to move, you know, and daddy's office is, you know, at his, it's at his actual parents' home. And so it's like, well, you know, his office is there. So it's just been easier for him to stay there while we're trying to move. And so I never, ever praise God. Mm. I never, ever said a negative thing about my husband to my children and talked about him as if everything was completely fine because um, I believed, and my counselor even had said, if if their life is going to be flipped upside down, inevitably, that's inevitable. Um, if, if that's the choice that you're going to make, it will inevitably flip their life upside down. But if there is even a flicker of hope, love them enough to not make them a part of something that's not theirs to own. And so we're very careful to protect them from that. And so in our engagement with them, I look up and I connect eyes with him for the first time during this meal. The first time I'd really connected with him in five days. And we kind of froze. And I said out loud, it's you. And he starts to get emotional and I start to get emotional and he kind of puts his head down and closes his eyes and says, "Just let's just enjoy our pizza and we'll talk later. We'll talk about this later. Let's just enjoy our pizza. And I was fighting this lump in my throat, but this darkness that I had seen building in November and building in December to the point where we are now apart and it's January and it's February, I saw him. I saw the man that I married where I had been seeing darkness and blackness and almost a, a stranger, I saw him. And so I get in the car with the kids and we're driving home and I made the music really loud so that they could just rock out as much as they wanted to so that I, I could be emotional and it not be as evident. And I get home and there's a text that says, I've emailed you, check your email. And um, in a very, very brief way, God was at work and my husband sends me this email that just says I want my family back and something's happening in me something has happened to me and something is happening in me and I think my husband for a season because of my busyness because of my ADD because of my struggle with depression that I would not own that I I was depressed. I would not own that I was ADD. I would not own that I was difficult to live with at times because marriage is for life. So no matter how hard it gets, it's still going to be forever. We're bulletproof, quote unquote. My husband was spiritually disconnecting and I was too busy to notice it. And then be, because of faults of both of ours, he began to emotionally disconnect and I was too busy to notice. I was too wrapped up in Tiffany to notice that. And then I didn't really see it until we were physically disconnected. And so all this blame that I wanted to put on him for certain choices that he had made and the, and the choice to not be together, it's so easy to, to just throw all the blame at him. I had to start owning what was mine to own. And, um, I could be negative and I could be critical and blah, 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 blah. And 
There's a lot of things that everybody has their faults and everybody has things to own that they can work on and change. That's a given. And, and a lot of those faults doesn't necessarily justify certain behavior and certain reactions to that behavior. I get that. But for anyone to be so naive as I was to think that you can continue down this path of self-centeredness and pride that ultimately you're, you're going to be fine and you're bulletproof, I feel like I was almost playing God and certainly not making him first. And so this, this journey started to transition into him wanting to physically be in our presence. That was it. I, I, the emotional, the spiritual, that was still being worked on. So February and then March and then April, without my knowledge, there was March and April, there was an emotional connection that was coming back because he was working on things he needed to work on through all the counseling that we were going through and the literature that we were reading and the friendships that were so, the community that was so valuable that was speaking truth into our life, who really knew us and was not afraid to be honest and say, you know, this particular issue about you doesn't necessarily justify a divorce, but it can certainly contribute towards the potential for that to happen. And so um, through that, on May 16th, um, God had been working and working and working in both of us. And um, we were watching a movie together. Um, not, uh, he had, at that point, I believe he had moved back home, but we were not mm -hmm. together. Um, he had moved into the guest room. And, and again, you know, I made comments like, um, well, the guest bed is better for daddy's heart. He's got some stuff going on in his heart, so the guest bed's more comfortable. And my, my small little precious children, they bought that. And, um, and it was true, though. I never lied to them, by the way. I never lied to them. I just was very protective of what they knew. And so um, May 16th, we were watching a movie because um, I had to be at um, a plum-related event from a record company that involved us going to another city. And so he attended with us and came with us with the kids and um but we had you know separate rooms and we were watching this movie and there was a part in the film that literally was completely un unknown to us that it would be in the film described our situation almost to a t and it was not a christian film by any means but it was so biblical and what it was saying about forgiveness and about the value in the history that you make in marriage and the value that forgiveness can play and that how sometimes we we make we, we take one thing and we let it define everything instead of letting all the good and all the grace and all the joy and all the hope define it and be able to just maneuver around this, you know, maybe one negative or two negatives or whatever. We, we end up letting them have more power than they should. And, and I turn and the brokenness in that room and the humility in that room and the opportunity for reconciliation in that room was so huge. It was so huge and we were so emotional and we touched for the first time and we grabbed hands and we just looked at each other and it was like, we can do this. God's big enough. And, and so that became the journey of the last six months of our life wow. to 
you know, reconnecting through little, I mean, little stages. And I'll be as honest to say, starting with hands, starting with little kisses, starting with little hugs and, and building into where you're back in the same room and building to where you're wearing your rings again and saying, I love you. And like a, a process there. And, um, and so for this whole period of time, as I mentioned that the record was finished, need you now one of the first singles off faster than a bullet um, before it ever went to radio before it was ever chosen to be a single it was finished and during this whole season that was the song of my own that I kept playing over and over because I needed him like I had never needed him before and the song had been written about anxiety and panic attacks that it manifested themselves through excruciating um, stomach cramps, stomach aches, and, and panic attacks as a, a teenager where I would h find myself hiding in a bathroom stall just praying over and over um, and, and crying out to God with Isaiah 41.10 on my tongue of just fear not, fear not, fear not, I'm with you, I'm with you. And just thinking, this is going to define me, it's going to ruin me, this wound in my life interrupts so many different angles of my social experience and my emotional experience and, and just being able to maneuver through life thinking I thought I needed you then well I need you now <laughs> like if that was a need this is unlike any that I'd ever known and so that song became my anthem it became my oxygen it became the song that I would sing over and over and it, as much of a songwriter and as an artist as I have been for so many years I've, I've traditionally written songs for my audience and they're therapeutic and they're good for me to get them out but they don't necessarily come back and change me and this was the first song that ever literally climbed in my heart and filled it with hope and gave me the confidence to breathe in and out no matter what's going to happen of God saying there is not a punch card I don't grow tired of, of your need for me and I'm not leaving I was in that bathroom stall in high school and I'm here right now and I'm going to protect and I'm going to provide and I'm going to be faithful no matter what the future holds and so for the future to actually hold reconciliation I told God no matter what I didn't say if I said when you restore this to whatever beauty you can pull from these ashes I will praise you to the last breath in my body and so um, I didn't choose Need You Now as the single. Um, after we were going through reconciliation, the label said, you know, that the single's coming out later this summer, probably July or August, it's gonna be Need You Now. And I fell to the ground in my house. And I was like, if anyone can have the hope, whether they've lost their child, whether they've their marriage is on the brink of divorce, whether their family member is, is suffering from a disease, I mean, whether they're losing their house, whether their dad has cancer, whether their brother won't speak to them, whether their child has a, a challenge in school that's, to, you know, that, that's just consuming every thought, every worry that you have for them in their future. All these different things that I can now relate to because in that whole season my dad was diagnosed with cancer and my brother no longer wanted to be connected to me and my you know my my career path of wondering what's what is all of this going to do to my career and the friendships that you actually lose friendships when you go through things like this friends that don't have that same hope or that same loyalty and then you start seeing friends for who they really are and 
I, I learned that I had some pretty crappy friends and I learned that I had some of the most amazing friends that God could ever give me and um, and that he was weeding and he was pruning and he was changing me and so all this blame that I wanted to put on my husband was actually ours to share and um, so need you now goes number one and I couldn't even read my computer screen where my A&R guy had emailed me saying need you now just went number one today and my eyes were so full of tears because I don't give a crap about charts I don't care about number one or number 21 I, I just I don't care but to see God right. God didn't give me a number one that's silly God is is faithful and God is at work and the enemy is battling for some things that I believe God knew that this song could give hope this song could give restoration and redemption and and just just so much so much that he could do through this that I honestly felt instead of this overwhelming sense of what have I done wrong to deserve this literally catapulted me into God entrusted me with something. He entrusted me with something, and I had a choice to make on February 7th. If I was going to let him be faithful and be seen victorious and get all the glory for, or if I was going to let the enemy rob it. And he gave me the strength to say, I'm going to trust you. I am terrified out of my brain, but I'm going to trust you. And, um, and I know everyone's story is not going to be like mine. Every marriage is not going to reconcile. But I have 100% confidence that God is faithful and that He is just and He is trustworthy and that He wants to redeem and restore and reconcile us to Him. And I think whether it's your marriage or your relationship with your child or a disease that you have or someone that you love has, in adversity... I mean, joy is birthed out of adversity. Joy isn't just joy. Joy comes from suffering. If there was no suffering, we wouldn't know what joy is. And so I almost feel like in our suffering, we have an opportunity to know Him in a way and to see Him work in a way and things to be birthed out of that in a way that we would not otherwise be seen. So instead of looking at adversity and conflict and suffering and pain as this albatross, I, I want to inspire people to look at it as something you're being entrusted with and it actually being a blessing. And so I take medicine now for depression and I'm okay to say that. And I take medicine for ADD and I'm okay to say that. Maybe I won't always, but it wasn't, and I'm just touching base on a few things that I needed to work on, but it was like those issues in my life that I continued to say that those are not really issues. I don't really have that. I don't really need medicine for that. Because um, I know there's people out there from a theological standpoint that say, well, if you take medicine for something, then you're not trusting you know, God to be God. They, uh, then we can agree to disagree there, I guess, because I, I really feel like in my story, um, it, it was a necessary evil. And I, yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to try this. And it has helped me be more rational and has helped me focus better and it's helped me not be a different personality it's not 
made me a different me. It's made me a better me. And and I think sometimes, just as a side note for those out there that might hear me say this and talking about medicine or contemplating medicine, I don't think ne- medicine necessarily means it's it's a permanent fix or or whatever. I do think medicine helps you change behavior patterns. And so when you're faced with a certain scenario, when off medicine I would normally react this way, but on medicine I react this way, you almost learn new behavior so that maybe one day as I wean myself off of that and God is at work in me, maybe I won't need it one day and when I'm faced with that circumstance I will have learned to make this choice by the help of medication versus never learning to change my behavior and actually creating it. So, so I'm not out here saying ADD caused me and my husband to separate. I'm not saying my depression caused this. I believe there's a lot of things in him and in me that continued to create a disconnect. And I think when you create a disconnect in any relationship, there is now a space for something else that wasn't. And so if you literally imagine standing shoulder to shoulder and then you're, you're two steps apart and ten steps apart, there's a space there if you like visually think of it that way and something's going to creep in and it could be it could be anything it could be money it could be drugs it could be right. you know people it could be relationships it could be whatever and it's like you you leave room you give the the, the enemy room to work there i think when you do that you create that disconnect and so I, I i'm such an advocate for marriage now to say don't be so prideful to think that you're bulletproof. Don't be so prideful to think that it's not going to happen to you and that you've got all your junk together. Um, I think that it's very easy to complain about your spouse about certain things and not realize maybe you're not so easy to live with either. And so um, you you contribute towards each other. It happens together. It's a 50-50 split. You're sharing it. And, you know, one person's choices might have more obvious consequences or, or, I shouldn't say more obvious, like a certain decision might have a more impacting consequence, but ultimately you're still sharing in that. And so um, my husband, if you were interviewing him today, would say he made some choices that were not good either. And he would say that there was things in him that needed to change too. And But neither one of you are in that place, in that mindset when you're wanting to own that and it's like that disconnect happens and then suddenly when I, when I say the curtain was pulled out from underneath me um, I, I had not been paying attention for years that there was a, a spiritual and an emotional and a physical realm all three in our marriage and in our life and in our home that was disconnecting and disconnecting and disconnecting and then one day the bottom fell out and the conversation the words came out I don't I can't do this anymore and you're like what yeah. What? What? And um. And so. Yeah, the line, the line, and need you now that is so, so honest is standing on a road I didn't plan, wondering how I got to where I am. That's and think about it. I didn't write that after this, but when I was hearing right. that in my living room in January, going, yeah, yeah, standing on a road I didn't plan, wondering where I, you know, I did not plan this, and um, God. I need you now like and though I walk though I walk through the shadows and I am so afraid will you just stay with me with every step I take and my best friend Melissa pointed out that when I say every step I take she said that implies moving forward 
a step. Yeah. She said, instead of every breath I take, she said, you said step I take. You ha you are going to move forward, whatever that looks like. And um, wow, that's that is awesome. And so yeah, I, I so that winter, I mean, that was definitely the onset was my marriage, but then you add that I was losing my house, and then you yeah. add that my dad says I have cancer, and then you add a brother that you were, you know, the Beave and Wally, and actually we're not the Beave and Wally, and and we don't have a relationship anymore, and I, I and grieving that. And then the financial strains and the, are you going to lose your business? Are you going to lose your career? Having your record company say, how do we do this if you're divorced? Or how do we do this if we don't release this record? And how do we, you know, come back from this and just, and you know, oh, by the way, your son has ADD too, and so do you. And you have also mild depression and you need medicine for it. And just one after the other and just going... I can't take anymore. Yeah, right. I can't take anymore. But having now developed this confidence that God says, I will never give you more than you can handle because I'm going to be the added strength you need to get whatever comes your way. So he's now I look back and go, wait a minute. I went through this and this and this and this and this. And my, my marriage is being reconciled. And we didn't have to foreclose, but we did have to short sell our home. Mm-hmm. And my dad's cancer was operated on and is currently cancer-free. And my son is still struggling in school and my brother still doesn't talk to me. And I am still learning what it's like to take medicine and, and live differently. And and so it's not like it's all worked out and it's all nicely, you know, a year later it's wrapped up in a bow and all fixed and perfect. But this journey that I'm on, it's like, wow, I... You know, I, I just and and also by the way, throwing out there too that when my dad was diagnosed, um, I went and had some preventative, like a colonoscopy. He had colon cancer, and so I, I went and had some preventative things, done, like where you get examined yep. and you have a colonoscopy and all this kind of stuff to kind of be preventative and making sure you don't also. And um, had a friend with breast cancer, and in that span of time, um, discovered something in my own body. Um, related to that that I was fearful of and so it turns out that I, we believe that it's going to be fine but just cancer scare and cancer prevention and you know just I don't know and, I, and I'm breathing in and out and I'm talking to you really? and so I, I I believe in the Almighty and I trust him completely and that's the winter and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still coming out of that and, and seeing spring and seeing, excuse me, new life and, and all that. So that's Need You Now and um, at Arms. Hey, so talk to me, talk to me about uh, in, Invisible. Um, you know, you know when you feel so, and we've talked about it already, but when you feel so lost in this world, it's it's another thing to wonder if if nobody else cares, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a line in what is it? Is it Princess Diaries that my wife just totally loves? Where it's like some something made her not feel invisible. Some, you know, the the boyfriend in the in the movie or the special friend or something. And well, I don't, such a great word. I don't think I even saw that movie. Um, yeah. Now that I think about it, but I should. Um, 
Well, Invisible was... I love how in you listening to it and other people listening to it, they're going to come up with their own idea of what it's about or what it means to them. And that's what's really beautiful in art to me. Just like looking at a painting, someone can see pain and someone else can see hope and all that. But um, Invisible was inspired by... We were talking about the whole twilight phenomenon. And... Mm. um, so this story of how it's almost like Romeo and Juliet in the sense that <clears throat> these star-crossed lovers, if you will. And um, and so that was kind of an image that we had and, and we're discussing it. And so we just, it kind of just bled into a songwriting moment. It was Matt Bronloway and Joy Williams and myself. And then it just kind of took on its own shape of how um, in the bridge I say, um, I can feel you. Hold on, how do how do I say it? Let me make sure I'm quoting. I can I cannot see you. I cannot see but you, I can feel you, but I can feel you. Oh, I just want to be with you. I have nowhere else to go. I have nowhere else to go. Um, I think when we at least get to a place where he's all we have left, mm-hmm. um, where you you you've reached a place where you just you have nowhere else to go, and something that almost literally was invisible to you becomes so present. But there's uh, there's so many different layers to invisible that can mean different things to you. I mean, someone could literally pick it apart and imagine that they're that character in that film just because that was an image that we had. But if how you're of this world and you just don't feel at times like you can stay here anymore, of right. feeling so hopeless and realizing that we are resident aliens... Um, I mean, I know that not everyone has this philosophical moment where they're like, oh, I'm a resident alien, but we're resident aliens and this isn't our permanent home. And we weren't, I mean, we were made for something more. And so you can take something as, for lack of a better term, cheesy as some star-crossed lovers Hollywood drama and and find something spiritual in that, find something artistic in that, that it's like, you know what, she, she this character whatever her name is, Bella, or whatever, you know, she's made, she really believes, and it turns out she was made for something different, and, and she doesn't want to go back to that old life. But um, for me, there was just a real spiritual, artistic message there of that, that we're, we're not really created for this life. There's just something more permanent about um, our Creator and just eternity and living for that, and not so much this, but... When you hit rock bottom in this life, and you have nowhere else to go, you ha- you find usually, or at least you should be able to find this hope that is not of this world, and it gives you this almost second wind to be able to finish out your life here, and not just to make it seem like ah, I'm just going to finish this out. Like make the best of what you have here, because this isn't permanent, and so that you can look at that two ways. You can look at that as you grieve that that oh man, I'm going to die one day, or this isn't the end. And so make the most of this, but really in comparison to what we were created for, this is just like a blink. And it it makes whatever conflict or adversity that you're going through, whatever hopeless situation that you're a part of, I feel like it takes a lot of the pressure off and really fills it with a lot of hope knowing this is actually temporary. No matter how bad I'm hurting right now, it's really temporary. And you know, I know 60 years can seem like a lifetime of 
an eternity, I guess, to some, but it's really not. I mean, I guess at, at now that I'm in my 30s and I mean, I dreamed of marrying one day. I dreamed of having children. I dreamed of sending that first child to kindergarten and blink. That's already happened. Right. And so it's like, whoa, you know, the 40s are coming. And, and obviously, I know it just goes faster than that. So 50s and 60s and 70s will get here. And I'm like, man, I'm knocking on the door. So um, so really, I just, I don't know. There's just, there's a, so many different layers to Invisible that I, I feel like artistically people can pull from but that was where it was inspired and started by and just the different layers of you know but I love the bridge the bridge is my favorite part in the song of just I've nowhere else to go and it's almost like I don't want God to ever I don't want to communicate with in my relationship with God that you're my last resort but at the same time when I'm at the end of my rope and I find you I realize you are all that I need you're actually all that I need and so um yeah, I mean, I, I hope he's, I mean, he's definitely been the first place I've ran to, but he's also been the last place. But every time I've ran there, I've, I've found everything that I needed there. And, um, and I'm really grateful. So anyway, that's invisible. But, but don't you need, or let me, let me rephrase that. <clears throat> do, do you need a shoulder to get to, to feel that? Do you know what I mean? Whether it is the love of another or it's the love that, that, is out there through God. Do you, do you need to be able to find a shoulder to go? All right. <laughs> well, there is something more beyond me. Well, when I say he's he's all I need, I think that he manifests himself through his people. And so, in very very hard times, having that friend that just happened to call and say, "Can I take you to coffee?" or having that friend that left you a yeah. surprise in the mailbox, or they sent you an email, or they sent you a text or a phone call, or just various different things that happened that it was a reminder to you that you know what God actually loves me he's a very loving God and he's very aware of my circumstance and so in that we've you know talked a little bit about the, the darkness of winter that I went through with my, my husband and I um, it was amazing to me the like literally one morning I woke up and there was a, a huge care package of just groceries and a devotional book and um chocolates and all just on the front porch in a basket that said you have a friend and you're not going through this alone and I didn't want to disturb you because I'm pretty sure you were sleeping but just wanted all of this basket full of fun stuff just to remind you that you're loved and you're not alone and it was like okay that basket you know didn't make my husband come back that day but it it showed me his love and so when I say he's all I need it's literally more of a whatever it is I'm struggling with that I'm wanting to work out in my way through him and his love and his people and his church, even in his creation, in nature, in sometimes in the unconditional love of a pet, you know, something as simple as that. You're reminded that this is not all about you. There is something bigger in control and you can have a confidence in that. So it's whether the circumstance turns out the way you want it to or not, I feel like God uses that. And I think when you realize that it's from Him, that's when I feel like you're actually connecting that He's all you need. Because I think a lot of times those different elements, you look at them very finite. Like, oh, that's just a friend being a good friend. No, I, I believe God laid it upon my friend's heart to be a good friend that day. And, um, and so more of this perspective of, of seeing 
his beauty in things and those getting you through it and being able to trust him and, and hope in him more um, and not be so fixated on the actual circumstance or the, the pain or the hardship. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's what the church, I mean, she's the bride, you know, and you think of mother and father, like usually the mama is the one that's got her arms around you. And I think he uses his church to do just that because he knows we need it. So. so. So do you feel like you're writing from the perspective of being the friend when I jump into the track drifting? So when you see your friend out there just sort of lost and lonely? Absolutely. 100%. Um, it's not that I've not been there, but I was wholeheartedly writing from that perspective. I have a friend who's gay. Um, he's He has no memory of... I mean, he remembers being in kindergarten and feeling like something was wrong with him, something that he was different. And, and I know this is a controversial subject, and I'm not, I'm kind of a, in general, I'm a pretty to each his own kind of a person. I'm, I'm, I am not the judge. God is the judge. Um, but in that, in this particular story, I, I love this friend dearly. Um, they believe that it was not a choice. They believe that they were born that way and that they actually love and live a very, Christian life and um, and have felt for the majority of their life that um, something was very wrong with them. It made them feel very lonely. It made them feel very isolated. Um, they were definitely marginalized in many different situations where for anyone who did know or suspected um, the way they were made to feel was just... It's, it's hard for me. I, I'm not going to get on a soapbox, but it's hard for me sometimes to believe in situations like that, that someone is choosing that because he will tell, he's a very good friend of ours and he will tell you why, why I would never choose this. It's, it's extremely hard and, yeah. um, and it's very lonely. And so I, I don't want someone to pigeonhole the song that it's about homosexuality um, because I try to write in metaphor. I, something specific inspires me, but I try to write it in a perspective that it can really mean a lot of things. So anything that makes someone feel isolated, it could be the color of their skin, it could be their social status, it could be their economic status, it could be a number of things. And there's a literally a sea of lonely out there and they can't see on the other crest of the wave that there is a bunch more people just like them. They can only see right. in that very empty spot of the ocean that they're by themselves. And... I would say this specific friendship, because I have seen him love God with his whole heart and, and make very good choices with his life um, and being very gracious and just I'm, I'm, in my mind, again, it's like I have this one particular person in mind as I was writing. And so Dan and Matt and I were talking and they all know this person. I'm closest to him, but, but we all know him and we were talking about that and how we we're able to branch out and say, you know, it's it's beyond, you know, that situation. That's a situation of loneliness and feeling marginalized. But there's so many that feel that way. And I said, yeah, you know, it's like as Christians, especially, not only, but especially, we feel like if we um, reach out and show real compassion to something that we don't agree with, that we don't understand, that we don't condone, any number, then... It, li it really does limit us like oh well if some for instance for me I, I don't necessarily understand what my friend has gone through because I've never been through that right. but 
we're not called to understand. We're not, we're not called to con- condemn. We're not called to condone. We are called to love. And so that's why in the lyric I say, there's a sea of lonely swimming sad, searching just for an arm to grab. I don't need to understand. I'm just lending you the two that I have. The two arms that I have, here they are. I'm willing to be your friend. I'm willing to love you. I'm willing to share this life with you and to share this journey with you without judgment and condemnation, but with just love. And God is the judge. Yay, I don't have to be. So instead of wearing that hat so often as we do, like take it off. Take that hat off. It's one less hat you have to wear because, you know, I have a hat that I have to wear. It's mother and it's wife and it's sister and it's daughter and it's aunt. And I I have have plenty of hats already. I have plenty. I mean, artist and writer and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't have to wear the judge hat. And so um, I think Christians are notorious for feeling like if they show true love to someone that they don't understand or that they don't agree with, that they are somehow condoning whatever it is that's in front of them. And I think that's extremely, because I've been that person and I've now looked back and seen, you know what, that's extremely arrogant of me to think that I have that power. It's not in me. It's, I mean, I'm given the privilege of just having to love. And so um, I grew up in a home that um, if my father and, and I know part of this is his generation and his upbringing, upbringing, not necessarily entirely his heart, but if he did not agree with something, um, what, no, no matter what it was, he could not entertain that. Like he, he couldn't necessarily go to dinner with someone who was not of the same political voting party as him. Right. He just couldn't be friends. Like if, if, you know, he could, two people in his mind, like he just does a whole lot better when he's with people that he looks like and that he acts like and that he agrees with and and I I don't even think I chose it I just think when I when I left home and I moved out I was just exposed to all kinds of things that were different than the way I was raised or what I looked like right. and I learned pretty quickly that you really limit yourself and you really misrepresent your savior when you pigeonhole your brain into thinking that you've got it right and you're the only one so yeah drifting was was a an anthem for me to send out there to say you are not alone whatever you're going through whatever it is you're not alone and there is a sea of you and when you get over that crest hang in there because in the at the very end of the song I say you'll see the sun like the sun will come up the storm will kind of cease and you'll see this huge congregation of people that are like hey me too maybe they're a sea of people who have been divorced maybe they're a sea of people who have AIDS. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you are not alone, and God is with you the whole time, and He really, really loves you. And so I just, in this friendship, He has said that um, until He could really, truly embrace that God really did love him, and that He was not alone in this, He felt hopeless. And I think I've just felt so full of hope for whatever reason my whole life that I was like, I am writing a song for him because I don't want anyone to ever have to feel like that I don't because it's not necessary and I I said something on Twitter recently and once in a while you'll surprise yourself and you'll say something and someone quotes you and that's like Mm. (laughs) it's it's just it's such a huge um, compliment when someone does that and my head pastor quoted me 
And um, his name's Pete Wilson, and I go to Cross Point in Nashville. And he quoted me, and I said, um, hope is oxygen, and we all need to breathe. And so he's someone I really respect. And so for the, just for the, sh- I, I could have said, you know, chocolate is like. Yeah, right. I could have said anything, but him to quote me was just a huge compliment because I respect him so much. But after he did, I was like, I don't even think I was trying to be big-brained when I said that, and I think I just said it, and I was like, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to try to remember that I feel like God just put that on my heart, that hope is oxygen, and we all need yeah. to breathe. And so for someone to feel claustrophobic or you know, in their, in their faith or in their life that they just can't breathe, it just makes me sad. And I think someone being someone who's very inspired by extreme emotion, of someone being truly sad, truly devastated, truly alone, truly hopeless, um, I have an, an empathy for that, and and I want to bring joy. I want to bring hope. Yeah. I just want to. So. Yeah, in this instance, I I think of it as like a big life preserver, and you're just throwing it out there, and you have this rope, and just grab a hold of this baby right. because I can. I've got some over here on you know deck number two. Right. I feel like I, I have so much of it for me to not make that probably the primary primary um catalyst in my art i just i have so much hope that i and i I told a friend recently who's going through a really really nasty divorce i said hope is never lost and she was like how can you say that like he's already filed for divorce and i said it's not lost hope does not necessarily mean he's going to get his act together and not divorce you or that you'll divorce and you'll remarry or you know paint some hollywood picture i said there is always hope like if you will see your life as opportunities for God to be made evident. If you if you take that upon yourself to say, I will represent you in my hardships, almost as if he's 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 literally trusting you with an opportunity for his love and his hope and his light to be seen in it. Um, it does not mean that it will turn out the way you want it to, but you will have a peace and a confidence in it that the Almighty like there's nothing greater in the world than to feel like God has used you and and that you were faithful. And I in those moments I just nothing can top that of just feeling like God is really smiling on what I have accomplished or that I've said or I've done, of him just going, Good and faithful, thank you. And um, I don't know. I just love him so much that I I wanna represent him well and I think it's really easy to take earthly relationships and think whether it's your spouse or your best friend, like you love them. And when something makes them look good and that brings them joy and, and a smile to their face, you're like, I'm, I'm glad to do that for them because I love them so much. And it's just, you know, 10 gazillion times more for someone who, you know, created and loves you so much that it's like, if, if I can make you look good, please, please yeah. let me do it. So, so yeah, yeah, that was drifting. I, I'm so amazed in my life how many songs and movies and books about feeling alone have been out there and yet it's still rampant you know what i mean it's like people still feel alone and yep. and you can read and hear this song and all that and still when you are at the bottom of the swell it's like sometimes you just want to go you know what screw it i don't care about the next wave i just want to go under right right that's the toughest toughest part i guess you know is yeah. that just a little flicker a little little droplet of hope you know mm-hmm. and yeah, it's tough and that's it's the tough. fall i mean that's the fallen world that we live in so nothing i say is like this 
quick or easy and you know right to, to yeah, make it's, it's a it's a lifetime of things isn't it it is it really is but it shapes who you are and keeps things exciting if you let it you know well and don't don't you think a little bit about it more as a mom and and think because you know your kids are going to go through some of the same struggles that you've gone through in your life and you think what can i plant in them now <laughs> so they remember it when they're at the bottom of the swell or the well or wherever the bottom really is you know right that's that's hard i i mean mine are young enough that i haven't i haven't had a lot of that happen yet um I mean, simple things of like, yes, I've burned my hand before too, or you know, <laughs> yes, I've I've busted my lip open, and this is how it, it's like. Um, we haven't. I mean, my oldest is seven, so we haven't had a lot of of, of that sure. yet. But I don't know, honestly. I just I just hope that they have seen enough confidence and courage in me that they really do believe comes from where my faith is based that no matter what they go through because i'm sure they'll go through all kinds of things that even i didn't go right. through um but they'll have some this anchor that kind of keeps them grounded that says okay my parents told me that no matter what god loves me and no matter what to just keep breathing in and out and the sun will come out and so um tomorrow yeah <laughs> and we tell them all the time no matter what you did today good or bad mommy and daddy still love you and because we, we definitely fail and we definitely fall, but we, we do believe that you know children's identities are wrapped up in their parents and, um, and they identify who God is through the way you love. And, and if a parent is not loving well, it doesn't mean their child can't find who God truly is. Um, I mean, if they've never been patient, it's possible that they can find out that God is patient, but I think it's a lot easier for that child the more christ-like you behave the easier it is for them to have a relationship with him um the sooner and the, the easier it is for them but it's not certainly it's never impossible but i think my husband and i talk about just the fruits of the spirit of how you know self-control and kindness and gentleness and um you know patience and, and it's like those are all the attributes of God and, and if we're impatient with our children all the time and if we aren't very forgiving and if we aren't kind and if we don't have self-control and we aren't gentle and um, you know they're gonna have an aversion to who this God is that we've said is so amazing uh, if, if they haven't seen him in our life and so I know there's people all over the globe that never saw him in their parents and they found him and um, because the thing is, he's chasing after us. He wants us to find him. He's not hiding in a bush. Um, but I just, again, I just think it's, you're setting your children up for a lot um, sooner, richer, fuller depth of relationship with him, the more like him you can behave. And and I love my children so much that I, I want to give them that. I want them to truly know that God's patient because I even saw that in my mom. or. God is gentle and and um, he's he's loving no matter what because I saw that in my dad and so um yeah yeah but we fail we definitely fail and and we'll have to but I try to say I was not acting the way God would want me to like I try to own it that that is not what you just saw like right. mommy freaking out over that uh, that was that was not God in me that was something else. So. Well, I'm sure there's X amount of books about feeling alone, but there's probably just behind that 
books about parenting. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. So, scuds and yeah, scuds. We're all, we're all trying to trying to do all that better, aren't we? Yes, every day. So jumping to the uh, the next one, I assume this is the the other side of the parenting equation. Beautiful is the other side of the parenting equation for uh, who you wrote the song "Beautiful" for. I wrote the song "Beautiful" for my husband, and yeah. um, he was actually out of town on business, and I had never video chatted for some reason with him. I mean, I guess because you're with your spouse most of the time, you probably don't video chat very often with them. But he was right. out of the country, and it was the first time we were ever going to video chat. And for whatever reason, I looked horrible. I mean, I had been sweating and no shower, no makeup, and the kids in the house. And it was like, oh, Daddy's going to video chat with us. And so we all rushed in there and, you know, got to in front of the computer. And I was like, you know, I haven't seen him. And I think at that point it had been at least a week because he was gone for several weeks and um you know, we had talked but actually catching each other on the computer to look at each other was the first time and uh and i the kids said hi and talked and then they left the room and then i was like hey i haven't you know seen you in days and days and i'm just so sorry that the first time you're seeing me i, I look horrible and my husband never makes me feel ugly or anything like that but it's just one of those times that you were like, oh, it would be nice to just look really nice <laughs> since I haven't seen him in a while. And because um, I truly did look pretty rough. And he was like, hey, I have been over here staring at, at a completely different culture that I haven't seen anyone that looks like my wife. Like, he, you know, to see short, very Caucasian, dark, curly headed, you know, American women. He's like, they're just, you know, they're, they're, obviously you're, he was overseas and he said, I've never seen a single person that looks like you. He said, so, um, you look beautiful to me. And, and he was just being really sweet. And, uh, and I just, after we finished our conversation, I was like, you know what? I can be so difficult to live with and so selfish. And all, I just, I, all the qualities about myself that I would love to just magically fix, um, kind of came to mind. And so that's where um, as the song starts, I say, not a stitch of makeup. I wake up feeling less than great. Mm -hmm. I think I'm crazy from lazy. I'm always running late. And I kind of put the perspective of like, but he comes home right on time. Like, I'm always late. He comes home right on time just to see me. And you see me at my worst. And I'm thinking, you're thinking, why did I marry her? But you say, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. And, and so just a, a, a very sweet not overly romantic but just really sweet take on an undeserved love and um and i just i felt like i i do not deserve this person and he's telling me i look beautiful and that i'm doing a good job with the kids and uh yeah so that was where that was born out of and i thought you know what who who's not going to relate to this everybody wants to either express this to the person that they love or um, they hope to have someone to express that to. And it's because you want to feel like you don't deserve this. Mm. And you're just so grateful that you don't deserve this. And so um, that's why I said what I said. Um, what? I don't deserve you. You say the perfect thing. You're beautiful, beautiful to me, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, and it's yeah. interesting because, you know, you, you lay a little bit of the, uh, or a lot of, w of your own honesty in there because sometimes when, you lose your keys for the umpteenth time, or you've got to fill up the tank because you forgot, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, those are yeah, the things the that like, 
tear at the at the edges of our relationship you know and it's like I've, I've been frustrated with my wife where it's like the tank's not full again please yeah it's like wait a minute it's just the tank's not full <laughs> you yeah know? well I know I it's like I had this self confession moment in the bridge that you're referring to if I am selfish self-absorbed narcissistic is this normal running late such a mess I give too many details where's my dress I wear a watch to conquer the world where's my keys the tank's not full I get yeah. in shape it's hard to breathe do you love me oh you love me yeah. and I don't deserve you because I'm the one I, I, I just I feel like because of all my quirks and and traits it's like I feel like I'm the one that's more hurtful and then you say the perfect thing um, but you know it's really funny the irony of that song just because of what we've been through right he, he and I um, he has said I could reverse it and be writing to you yeah. um, in, a, in a heartbeat because he he's like I have been selfish and self-absorbed and narcissistic and that and that's not normal for me I've I mean, he has been so punctual most of our marriage, and then in the last year, he's had many times where he's so late and made me late for something, and I've had the chance to respond to him the way that he has responded to me in the past and go, it's okay. Yeah. Whereas it was usually like, Jeremy, I'm so sorry, I'm so late again, and he's like, it's okay. Um, and so we've definitely had kind of a role reversal a little bit in that just because of, of what happened and and uh, how we've healed through it and how I've learned to work on a lot of that. So even though I'm rattling off all my struggles, um, there are quite a few of those I really have started to work on. And I think that's proof that you're never too old for God to to help change some of those bad habits, you know? They to don't learn to learn about grace. Yeah, I mean you don't have to just say that's the way I am. Like if the way you are is actually um interfering with your life or your marriage or it's like playing that card of that's just the way I am just doesn't work and right. you can even take it a step further and saying like I I have and I I do not like the overuse of this term because I I'm not proud of the fact that I have ADD but I have it and there's that, that term gets overused a lot now because you'll be at the grocery store and, and the cashier will say something like, oh, I'm so ADD I forgot to give you your change and it's like it's just sort of a real flippant term and it's like there are people that really struggle with that and I, I am one of them and and I didn't really realize it until the last year that I really I really struggle with that and so um, in kind of recognizing some of those things my counselor when I was going I still go to counseling but she had said you know I said something about why, why didn't my parents notice this I mean did, is this an, a new onset of something or whatever and she said you know you you've probably always had this but it, if it's not interfering with your life you don't really it's not really a problem per se and she said so your parents expectations on you may have been different yeah and you forgetting things all the time ah who cares that's just how she is because maybe your mom was the same way blah 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 right. she said but then you get married and then you have child 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 and you have different demands and a different career and a different I have a whole different life than my mom and dad do and and, and my behavior actually does infringe upon right. the, the peace in my home. And so it's like, I think my mom, which I would say this if she was sitting here, I think she has it too, but has never been diagnosed. But it, for whatever reason, it didn't 
cause a problem in her life either because my my dad thought it was endearing or he just didn't care or she had friends that but I've actually had friends that it does bother mm-hmm. and I have a husband I have a husband that it does bother and instead of throwing me to the curb you know I've been given the grace to like work on that and I can't obviously completely change it but you can work on it you can at least by starting out saying I I have a challenge here and so here's some things I have to do different in my life or um, it will actually cause a real problem in my life as opposed to just being part of it. So that is just a little plug for anybody out there that yeah. struggles with something like that or anything for whatever it is. Don't just say, that's just how I am. Um, if it really is causing a problem in your life, try to try to work on things that could help make it easier to be friends with you or easier to be married to you or easier to be your child. So That is so beautiful, Tiffany. <laughs> to make it easier to be friends with you, because I, I, you know, I'm sure I have my own issues. I mean, my brother has Asperger's uh, syndrome, and I'm sure my dad mm-hmm. had it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm yeah. that close to being clinically Asperger's, right? You know, because there is part of that selfish behavior that I go, well, it's just I just want to blow it off. Like, well, hey, you know, it's just who I am. But reality is, is I've got to work on that too. Yeah, and and you I know, realize that if the way you're, you're you're wired a certain way, there there is a there's a there's a certain distance that you can't travel like i i mean if you have something you can't just oh i'm going to take a purple pill and it will just magically make it not be there but right but i'm i'm just saying for me like i run late all the time so i have to wear a watch like if i don't and i don't have it on right now yeah but um but i'm close i'm near a, a clock but it's like little, like those little things that, like, if someone's just kind of naturally, they kind of have this inner clock, and they're pretty good about checking the clock and being on time, and they're very punctual by nature. Great. Or if you're not, but you're married to someone who could give a rip, well, then good for you. But I yeah. struggle with punctuality really bad, and I'm married to someone that it it makes feel disrespected. Like, if you if he's asked me to be somewhere at five, and I get there at five twenty six, he's like, I mean. If you ran out of gas or you had a car wreck or there was some sort of emergency, completely understanding. Otherwise, if it's because I was just taking too much time brushing my teeth and changing my clothes because I just wasn't being thoughtful of him, he feels disrespected and it really bothers him. And so I've had to say, okay, I can't just say, well, that's just how I am. I'm just, I'm just not a punctual person. Um, You know, he'll give me a little grace of if we're meeting at five, he expects me to be there probably around 5.05. But when it's 5.35, he has every right to be like, Tiffany, really? And so I, I got a watch, and I was like, I'm going to set a timer. And so mm-hmm. I use those kind of things. Like, I have to do that, or I will run late, and then it will actually be a problem. Because when you've disrespected your spouse, you know, eight times in a week, you start to disconnect a little bit. And I, we've learned that, and I, and I had been doing that for a very long time. And so um, lots of changes and lots of things that I think will be beneficial to our marriage and, and certainly but also to our children yeah and our and our any relationship that we have well l- let me quote a lyric to you left alone we will never be who we could be yeah <laughs> right uh-huh. in the song one drop that's probably <laughs> such such perfect perfect words for right now I guess it's probably my children's favorite song on this record one drop um, we were given the opportunity to write a song for coca-cola um, Matt Brownlee and I and they're, <clears throat> I don't think it's come out yet, but they were doing a water campaign. 
And personally, I, I wonder if it's because Coke feels guilty about all the sugar and <laughs> caffeine yeah. they've pumped into the world. Um, but they're doing a water campaign, and so they wanted a song written for it. And this song actually made it to like the final two or three songs that they had narrowed it down to. Mm. And um, and I don't know what song they chose, but it was not this one. But um, that just to make it that far gave me a lot of confidence that this song's pretty pretty catchy. Um, but the song we just wrote it from the perspective of of hope again that theme obviously keeps coming up but we were given just the very brief description that they wanted to prom be promote promoting of their water yeah. and so i was thinking water wet drop drop of water one drop and i was like one drop and um and so immediately in an effort to to write well i have to have like i've said i have to have this image and um and i put just healthy relationships in my mind of like i need you and you need me. Left alone, we will never be who we could be. So let's just do this together. And it only takes a little bit of hope. It only takes a little bit of sunshine. It only and Anything good that you can think of in your mind, it only takes a little bit of whatever that is for, for change to happen. Mm -hmm. And um, good change, if, if you will. And so you can take it far left and isolate it just to a coke commercial of talking about one drop of water <laughs> or you can take it far right where is where where my mind goes of um just a little bit of hope yeah just a single ray of sun just a an encouraging word a smile a hug making a meal for a friend being a shoulder to cry on just a little bit of that goes a long way right. and i think if we all gave one drop like how this world would be such a better place and so this song was written full-blown for a commercial and so i have i really have hopes of it ending up being um whether it's a theme song or just a a commercial or two of just sure being a well, i mean whether it's folgers or you know aquafina right. or you know whoever it is um but just something positive that it's used for something very positive because it, it is very very catchy and my kids in the song, when people listen to it, they'll hear the oh, uh, oh, 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 oh. My kids sing that all the time, and they put their hands above their head, making an O. And um, love it. And that's re that's just rewarding as a mom, as a songwriter, because your kids are participating in what you've created, and that's sort of fun. But this one, yeah, this one's not this one's not dark and you know <laughs> super deep. It's just well, it's because you'd like to teach the world. This yeah, thing. I like to teach the world. <laughs> we even talked about that of just sure. like okay, we had Coca Cola on our minds, and and I'm I am not a Coke drinker. I'm comfortable saying mm -hmm. that I'm not a fan because I feel like it's people are just addicted out the brain to sodas, and yeah. it's just been really it's really been bad for the world. Coke colas have just I'm sure they I mean they taste amazing, but they're just not good for us, and um. I was actually really glad to hear that they were wanting to use it to promote more water, more water drinking. And so whenever you hear the Coke water campaign come out, whatever song you hear, you'll have to listen to it and see if you like it better than One Drop because yeah. whatever it is, it, it beat my song, so. <laughs> it's probably Nickelback. It, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, we wrote it for that, not... I mean, if they had picked it up, I'm not even sure if we could have put it on the record because I'm I'm pretty sure they would have had exclusive rights to it. Right. Um, because you would you kind of give that up in an effort to get a Coke commercial, which is 
yeah. from a monetary standpoint, very worth it. But yeah, right. um, but they didn't, so I was able to put it on the record because I really did love it. I was like, if, if they don't choose it, it's definitely going on the record. So I hope people enjoy it. Yeah. How's the yogurt? Good. Yogurt's good. Yogurt. Yogurt, and it's good for you. It is. It's um, it's Greek yogurt, which is you know a little bitter, but it's got some raspberry in it, so that helps it. Oh, the Greek the Greek yogurt's a little bit more. Is it less sugar in it or something? Oh yeah, it's it's way healthier for you and a lot more protein. But it's, I mean, it's not sweet, and so they you have to, if you get the flavored kind, mm. if you compare it to like a YoPlay or something, it's um, you have to kind of adjust your taste buds. Cause, so the raspberry in it does make it sweeter. But the aftertaste is a little bit bitter because it's not, it's not been, um, I don't know all the words yeah, to use, that. Sure. It, but, but it's way healthier for you and a lot more protein and a lot less sugar. Yeah, so. And do you watch what you eat a lot? I do. Yeah. I do. and But not at the holidays. Yeah. Right now, it's just, I throw it out the window. Like November and December, if anyone's trying to diet, like you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like. Good luck. I mean, good luck, whoever's... But I just feel like you... If you've been doing really good all year, I don't necessarily advocate, like, just throwing it out the window entirely for November and December. I'm just saying, do not start a new diet regimen in October or November because you will just set yourself up to fail, which is why January is a nice little, okay, new calendar year. Yes. Let's get back to the... But I did just see a documentary that has um, inspired us to try a new lifestyle. It's called um, Forks Over Knives. I, on Netflix, I saw that's there, and it's on my queue to watch. It will rock your world. Really? Yeah. It's the 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 research that they reveal in it is almost undeniable, and you're like, hmm. And so my husband and I are going to try. It, it advocates basically um, vegan. Or at least vegetarianism, but um, but not certainly as a trend. And they, and they show there's actually one part in it that they show that during Hitler, when all the livestock were seized for basically his army and all the people that were left to just eat plant-based foods because they were poor and they were mm-hmm. obviously being mistreated and all that, um, the decrease in cancer specifically was, wow. it plummeted like cancer almost just went away in the sense and then it shows that when the war ended and they were able to start having their cattle again and their pigs and their sheep and their whatever it started to incline almost immediately and i know that's just a graph but the way he explains it is extremely intelligent and they just did a lot of research and you're like and so they were they're more or less saying like any any animal byproduct um, it, it tastes good. It gives you protein. It, you know, that's great. But it actually, I mean, and I was just like, I love steak. I don't want to watch this movie. I love steak. <laughs> but um, but I was like, you know, my husband has type two diabetes, and um, and you know, I do. I don't like paralyzing someone into my because my oldest son and I struggle with attention deficit, and I my my uh, counselor has said like. You can take medicine for that, of course, which we have opted to try. But long term, she's like, your diet and your environment and all of that plays a part into it. And so we're trying to see what could we do as holistic as possible. Right. Because I don't don't really want medicine to be a lifelong 
necessity. Yeah. But I also I also know that some people, such as myself, you have to kind of decide that of the two evils, be a, a really distracted mother who gets nothing accomplished because you just can't finish anything, and your family suffers for it, or take a medi- you know so yeah. a little bit of medicine. And so, I feel like sometimes you just have to balance which one's worse right now and so but anyway it it, it encourages that so we're gonna try the vegetarian route in january Mm -hmm. and see and see if we could ease into vegan because vegan is a lot more difficult but once i have a friend who has done it and she said once it becomes a way of life she's like you don't even think twice about it she said but it is a a major change if you're willing to do it but her husband's father died of a heart attack at 50 and He, didn't, he just didn't want the same for his life. And I guess after two weeks of being vegan, he, he had his, his, all his numbers checked and went back in two weeks of being vegan. And his numbers were, I don't know all the terms, but they were drastically different. Wow. Like his this and his that and his that. And I was like, really? He goes, I, I can't deny that. He said, I went in and the doctor was like, what are you doing? Because your numbers are totally different than they were a few weeks ago. He said, and I was like, I've cut out every animal wow. byproduct. And he's like, no meat, no cheese, no butter. And he's like, no, we've used just healthy alternatives to that. And he's like, whoa. So anyway, you should watch it. It's, it's definitely interesting. But we're trying it. So we're not going to be one of those like, everybody should be right. vegan. Not yet. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to try it and see what it does. And uh, I don't know. When we talk a year from now, you might be, everybody's got to be vegan. I, know, I might be like, listen, my husband doesn't have diabetes anymore. I don't have ADD. It's amazing. Everybody should do it. But we'll see. Well, I mean, I think, I think they, I think they sell us food the way they sell us sex. I mean, it's like, if you just eat this, you'll be a greater person, and you deserve this, right? Whether it is a Coke or it's Doritos or it's Taco Bell or whatever, you know, and you just sort of go. There's part of that treating yourself because you've already had a hard day, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, <laughs> like where's the commercial oh, that says? I've had friends who are vegetarians and vegans. I just listened to an interview with Weird Al Yankovic, who's a vegetarian, right? And you think, here's a guy who's just having fun. No, this guy is worried about how his body reacts and how he lives, you know. And I just thought, wow. I mean, why? Why do I continue to ignore this? And, well, it's funny. You know, like you don't see the commercial that says, "Hello, we all deserve yeah. death." However, we've been surrounded by, you know, uh, they, they, they quote Socrates, or who is it? They, I forget who it is, but they, they quote someone in the documentary of saying that um, the, the, medi- the perfect medicine is, is all around us. And it's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's grown, like God put us on this planet with all these means of, but then there's like okay, he put animals here too. So how do you justify you know? And they had this one part that almost made me feel bad. Um, he was talking about how he said, I forget what year it was, but it was way long ago. But he said at one point we removed a child, like you know every every animal's child, every parent's child, like a baby nurses from its mother's milk. And he said, so it's like, you give this baby this pure, straight from its mother's milk, and then go and ask it to drink a cow's milk. And he goes, that, we have made that the norm now. He said, but if you think about mm-hmm. it, that is weird, that we're going to go ask it to drink an animal's milk, when, okay, it's now had its mother's milk, it doesn't need that anymore. And he said, but we, we have convinced ourselves that that's what we need. And he said, there's just all kinds of different, 
you do need certain nutritional things, but they're found in things that we've, as a culture, we've just not realized like, oh, you could have this through rice or you could have this through soy or you could have this through, and it's like, no, go drink it from a cow. And so when he explained that, I was like, oh man, I nursed all three of my children till their first birthday and then I gave them cow's milk and and it was or- yeah. and it was organic but after watching the movie I was like I'm glad I at least went the organic organic route but I'm I'm, right. I'm thinking I could have just given them water and yeah right you know just whatever they didn't have to have milk if they're getting certain proteins and nutrients and all the other different things you got. anyway it's very yeah. educational and so we're just going to try it so yeah hey the other one you got to watch is uh, king corn it's um really depressing because it's about how we shove everything full of corn syrup and everything i mean you know between soda pop and uh, a lot of the meat you'll buy it'll be full of corn syrup blah 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 but anyway it shows how they raise cows you know and it's just really depressing <laughs> you know it's king, like, i'm gonna write it down yeah. right now king corn because king we corn. also yeah. we saw um should food. be i think it's on netflix too go ahead it, um food inc is really good yep i think i either have it in my queue or i saw it i can't remember and the other one that's really yeah. good is um, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead? Yes. He, um, this guy goes on a juice fast, and we definitely bought a juicer after that. Now, we didn't do the whole juice fast the way he did, but we bought a juicer and um, started making like fruits and vegetables as like, oh, I want a quick snack, or instead of eating a big bowl of cereal at the middle of the night before going to bed just because it sounds good, like we'll make a smoothie with... You know, a bunch of fruit and add some kale or spinach or something to it. But watch that. You watch that movie and you're like, holy cow. He literally saves a man's life. And it is one of the most beautiful stories. I mean, he literally is truck driver. He met at a truck stop. And he's got carrying a camera around. And he does not know this guy from Adam. Yeah. And, and, he's, and he starts talking to him. And he brings him over to his car and shows him what he's doing. And long story short... He's like, he ends up keeping up with him and they become friends for years. And he met him at a truck stop and he was like, I don't know, like 380 or something or almost mm-hmm. 400 pounds. And, um, and he, he changed his life and he actually helped fund, like he actually really took care of him and he really went wow. the extra mile. It, it's amazing. So you should check that one out yeah. too. And I think, I, I want to say I read a magazine article or something. We got to get off this because I think you have a whole record. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but, um. I think there's an article about uh, a guy who cured himself of diabetes with changing his diet and his attitude and all this kind of stuff. And I, yep. I, I just have it in my head. I don't know if it was an article in the Wired magazine or it's a book or a doc or something, but I'll, I'll see if I can find that. Yeah, because my husband's all about trying that because he's he's tired of, like, if he does not take his medicine and he does not ride his bike, he is lethargic and, and right. just... yeah. He just doesn't feel well. And he's like, I think exercise is important. He said, but I don't want to have to exercise every day just to not feel bad. Yeah. And he's right, like, yeah. so I, I'm an right, advocate yeah. for it, but just because I don't have that struggle. Like, I feel better when I exercise, but I don't feel bad when I don't. And he actually feels bad when he doesn't. Um, and he just yeah. doesn't want to pop pills forever. So, anyway, okay. Hey, who are, you, who, are you, uh, who are you reaching out to? And I want you here. I'm wondering what that where that struggle is that uh was written about my friend who lost her baby um she i had several friends in a very short span of time 
um, have a few stillbirths, um, several miscarriages, but actually several who delivered living children who died after just a couple days. Um, mm. And there were a couple stories in particular that were kind of the catalyst behind um, writing the song. And one of them was a little baby named Gabriella. One was uh, a little boy named Ewan. Um, another was a set of twins that um, the little girl died after three days and the little boy, I think it's a boy, because um, it was not a family that I knew. It was a family that were good friends with some friends of mine. Yeah. And they were talking about it. Um, but the other twin died um, just a few days after. And I was like, so they, she carried twins full term. And then after several days, lost one. And then several days, lost the other. And I having had young children myself and just not being able to wrap my mind around the, the hurt. And so um, what's interesting is after I wrote the song, um, while we were mixing the record, um, my friend Sarah delivered a little boy um, on September 30th and on October 28th he died. And uh, so he was 28 days old. And mm. It changed my life because the the night before he died, she uh, she had been at the hospital every single day. She left for dinner one time, and I think that's it. Like she she was there constantly, round the clock. And um, the night night before he died, she had called me and she said, "I'm just exhausted tonight, and he's not doing very well." And uh, I said, "Would you want me to come up and just bring some Oreos or some?" donuts or some coffee and just burn the midnight oil like I'll totally stay up with you and she was like would you and I said yeah I'm, I'm really rested Jeremy's got the kids I, I'm I'm good <clears throat> and so I went down there I ended up bringing a box of donuts and um just hanging out with her and she was like you could tell she was so tired but she just couldn't leave his side and I said well what I mean he was in a critical care unit so he had his own two nurses and his two parents, and then there was just about no one else allowed. And they would let one person in periodically, a family to visit or a friend. But it was very, very closed off. And um, so I was in there with her, visiting him. Very tiny guy. His name is Justice Micah. And so she was, I said, why don't you sleep? And I will sit right next to him. I will hold his fingers, and I just won't leave. Like, if I have to go to the bathroom, that'll be about it. But I'm not going to leave him, I promise. And so she's like, if you'll promise, because like she needed the, because her husband had already went to lay down because he could not hold his eyes open. And she laid down. And the only way she could really rest is if she had confidence that no one was leaving. Now the nurses are there, but she wanted like one of her right. people with him. And I just, I'm sure it was God given, but I had a ton of energy. I didn't feel sleepy at all. And I sang like my whole lullaby record to him just over and I would just go song after song after song and I would just keep singing really softly and keep singing and so awesome. the, ne the next day the next day um, they had all kinds of things happen to where they had to start unplugging things because it was actually you know if they don't unplug this that's helping his heart beat then it'll actually destroy his liver that, or kidneys or it was just a, a I'm certainly not explaining it right but anyway it was evident that he would be passing away that day. And so everyone is cleared out and sent all the family, all the friends are called and they're put into a waiting room. And she asked me to stay and take pictures and video of the whole event. Wow. And so I photographed, I had one in each hand. I photographed and filmed him literally passing from this life into the next. I watched his eyes 
I saw the screen flatline. I have never witnessed something like that before. And and how she was never really able to hold him. And so in that moment, she could just pick him up because he was gone. And uh, I mean, I, I've never cried so much. Well, when my husband and I separated, I, I definitely shed some tears. Yeah. But um, other than that, I mean, I just wept and wept and wept. And the grace that I saw in her and the strength and the courage and the confidence to she wasn't bitter she wasn't angry she wasn't questioning god she was just like i got to be his mother for 28 days as opposed to never being his mother and um she was devastated but there was just so anyway i've dedicated the song to her because after i wrote it inspired by these real life situations i actually experienced myself in the flesh watching that happen and and so it was a song to 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 young you know, mothers to say, even if their child was five or 10 or 20 of, it's okay to want them here. It's okay to be mad. You know, it's okay to, to question God. It's okay to be angry. Um, you know, what we do with that, like, do we get mad and become a bitter person? Or do we get mad and decide we're going to let this make us stronger? And so she's definitely a person that felt the pain of it, but she's only allowed herself to become better through it and so she's reached out to so many mothers since then and she's a real advocate for that the hospital that he passed away at she visits it regularly wow. in that same area to go to other mothers and say I have been where you are and I'm not sure if your child will live or not but I just want you to know if they don't I'm living proof that you will be able to get out of here and breathe and live and so she is just such an advocate for showing them wow. because because she just doesn't want someone to turn their back on God in that moment she's like because i feel like it's an opportunity for god to be seen in a way that he never otherwise would be for that person and she said and it's like he could do something so massive in your life through that pain or you can let it destroy you and so she's just it's just amazing so i yeah i wrote it and there's a a, a line in the second second half of the first verse where it says your hands so small held a strand of my hair so strong all i could do was keep believing uh was that enough and there's a picture of baby Ewan on their blog about his life that his little tiny newborn fingers are, are literally grasping her hair. And it's, if anyone is familiar with newborns, when they get a hold of something in their hand, yeah. it, they hold on super tight, like it's like a steel grip because they're little tiny yeah. fists. And so she blogged about how, how strong he was holding tightly to her hair, but yet how incredibly weak and frail and sick yeah. he was. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and she had a photograph of it and that just stuck in my brain and I was like I'm putting that in the lyric I'm just going to put that in the lyric so yeah. so that that's yeah. I want you here well I mean I think I mean I even go right straight to the next song with Say Your Name because when, when you're that I don't know where that song is exactly from right but when you're in that position you're, you're just trying to make sense of it right right with your brain with your heart with God with your family with the doctors with everything right. but but yeah and it all takes time like none of those line up on the same day at the same time and just make sense until for a while and um and and it's important for people to know that like you could have a a sense of peace but your heart feels one way and your head feels another and your faith is in another place and whatever but say your name yeah. kind of bleeding into that um that's just a 
straight up as as blatant I think it's probably the most literal song on the record about um just believing that I mean it's just about a heartbreak I mean it's a it's a pop song about a broken heart and and wanting to move past and and this song is not about my husband and I in fact it was written um, by my friend Luke and Tammy they actually started the song and they weren't really they were finished with it as far as they were concerned and, and Tammy was singing it at a writer's round one time and I, I loved what she was saying but in my mind my mind started making all these changes and, and I was like what would you say if I wanted to to bust in on your your song and she was like what do you mean and I was like well what if I changed it and um, if you could hear the original versus the the new they're very different mm-hmm. but they had already started the song about just a, a broken heart and but when she said when does a scar become a tattoo I was like ah that's a lyric yes. I I felt like that's something I would say and you just said it so let's you know let me let's in on go. it and so I, I've never done that before. I've never taken someone's virtually complete song and said, "Can I just totally mix this up and still use pieces?" And so, um, and so I, um, when we were finishing it, when I had taken it and kind of mixed it up, my friend Phyllis had just lost her husband um, very unexpectedly. She had just lost her husband, and the bridge. When I say I know that someday this pain will fade, um, but right now I I I want to scream. And it was that she, Phyllis in particular, had even said to me, I know I won't hurt this bad one day. And that's the hope, that yeah. I have that hope that it will not hurt this bad. It was so sudden, and they were so in love, and she was so sad. And and I was here, you know, changing up these lyrics about this broken heart, and I was like, you know what, right now she just, she felt overwhelmed because suddenly, you know, they had, they had a, he, he was a banker, and so he took care of all the money and all the investments and all yeah. the, the everything. And she's like, I just want to scream. I don't know. She's like, I'm trying to deal with this broken heart of missing my husband so bad and realizing that he's not coming back. Right. Like that, that, that look in his eye that he's not coming back like this. It's not like we're going to get back together or reconcile. He is gone. And, and just accepting that while you're trying to deal with, the, the, the funeral director calling your house and the coroner right. office and right. and she said that she remembers he was still on the table in the emergency room after the ambulance brought him to the hospital he was still she said literally he had flatlined only minutes prior and she said someone actually turned to her and said I hate to ask you but are you interested in donating his organs and she said and I realize they have to know pretty soon if that's an option because the organs have a lifespan and they need to get right. them out if they're going to. Wow. And so she was like, I certainly want to help another person. She said, but as insensitive as they're trying to not be, she's like, I'm still grasping the fact that my husband's dead on the table and you want to know if you can have his liver, right. you know, or his right. heart or his whatever. And she said, and it was like, I just want to scream, like, just let me grieve, let me grieve. And, um, and I said, well, you know, it won't always be like this. And she was like, I know that like, that's the hope that I have is that, Right now, it feels like this, but well, one day this will fade. And so I was like, okay, I want to, I that was the twist that I wanted to add to this broken heart, is that sometimes people don't come back. Sometime, sometimes you don't remarry. Sometimes you don't reconcile. Sometimes you don't get back together. Right. Sometimes they're actually dead, and it's impossible. But yeah. you can have hope that the, the pain of what you're, because I think people suffer tremendous pain in all kinds of 
situations and they act on it in a devastating way um you know and i mean kind of takes me back to like carrie underwood's you know i i I drove my key into the side of his little pretty little hooped up four-wheel drive and carved my name into his leather like of someone whatever their emotion is instead of responding they react and so I just my friend Phyllis really responded Mm. well she was with all this thrown at her she was responding so well but then I was thinking of the millions and millions of people that just have broken hearts and they don't cling to the hope that you're not always going to feel like this so you might look back and go right i I really wish i hadn't said those things i wish i had not done that or i wish maybe i had actually opened myself up to the possibility of this or that and so um yeah so that's (laughs) so that's broken heart pop song i love unlovable i mean i i just think it's, it's so powerful go Unlovable was kind of inspired by the same um, person as Drifting. Um, mm, okay. and, but not so much him as who he represents. The, the Drifting right. was more like I had him in my mind, but when we were writing Unlovable, right. um, and I'll just say this very bluntly. I don't know that I've even said this to anyone, but the dance community has been extremely, just EDM has been very, very embracing of my music and of me as a singer and I've been able to collaborate with several different artists in that genre and that format but in the dance community it's predominantly homosexual um, mm-hmm. not everyone but it's a very that style of music is uh, for instance Christian music mostly Christians are the ones loving it but not all mm-hmm. people that like Christian music are Christians um, for so not all people who love dance music are gay, but there are there's a predominant amount of people that that do. And I was thinking about how much they've loved me, and how blatant I am about who I love, and having a compassion for them. And in fact, Unlovable's original lyric was, "I make you uncomfortable with who I love." And the two co-writers that I was sitting with, um, Seth and Ben, Seth made a comment. He said, I think this song has so much potential that when we say that, we have literally stuck it in a corner and it will only relate to someone who is gay or has someone in their life that's gay. And he said, and I feel like we should have it a little bit more broad that maybe they are not loved or accepted or welcomed or whatever for they could they could be an interracial couple they could be covered they could be covered in tattoos they could be like there could just be a number of things about them that cause someone to limit their love for them and so um so it changed from that to i make you uncomfortable when i'm around um you always find a reason to shut me out you don't understand me so you push me away which is kind of like the almost the the ping pong of drifting like right I don't have to understand, so here's my two arms, where it's like, you don't understand me, so you push me away, and you say, you know, I forget exactly how I phrase it, and all that I'm, I, my mind is spinning, but it's like, and you say that it's, you know, Jesus says it's okay to act that way, and because it's, I, I had this image of wh- whether someone's gay or whatever, of someone mm-hmm. not understanding them, and so their knee-jerk reaction is to distance themselves, which in turn, that's usually that's out of an, in, an insecurity. Whether right. you agree with them or not, understand them or not, when you don't really get it, 
you have a knee-jerk reaction to kind of distance yourself out of an insecurity and make them actually feel a way that I don't necessarily think people consciously want to make that people person right. feel so isolated. Because there's no, I mean, there's scuds of parents, I'm sure, that their child is a cutter or they're gay or they're they're just they're making certain choices that their parent doesn't understand or agree with. And so they just, ah, uh, you know, and they just kind of freak out yeah. and they distance themselves and their child actually needs them to wrap their arms around them even more and right. say, I don't understand, but I'm just, I'm just going to love you. I do not understand this. In fact, some of this I may or may not even agree with, but I'm going to love you and, and maybe God can change me or maybe God's going to change you, but no matter what, let's just love each other and have each other through this. And I, I am. Um, and so that was the first verse. And we decided because we weren't going to limit it to just homosexuality that the second verse is about a, a single mother right. who does not have her act together. And, you know, I, I almost had this like politically correct person saying like, let's reach out to the widows and the orphans and let's love on those who have less than us. But yet when it's in their face, maybe it's their daughter who's now pregnant. Well, they, they don't even want to be seen right. you know, or they want her to go live somewhere else. And it's like, wait a minute. If we say that this is who we serve, we serve a God of love and a God of forgiveness, then we have to be loving and we have to be forgiving. And so, because, and the bridge is obviously a little bit harsh, but it's like, so so we say we love Jesus, but you know, years ago, it's us that killed him on, and put him up on a tree because we we didn't believe him. Right. We didn't understand him. And so it's like, so Jesus probably felt a little bit of like, why me? Why am I the enemy here? And um, and so I just, it was not a song necessarily saying, I think something is right or wrong. Right. There in our interview that it's, I don't know. Like if I've never been through something, whether it's homosexuality or cutting, I honestly can't tell you what I truly believe God says because he's, he's, he speaks to us individually, but he also speaks to us as a church and as a community. And I think that no matter what someone is going through, I don't believe your faith is an individual thing. I, I believe you are an individual that lives your faith out in a community. And so yeah. you are surrounded by love and hope that will help shape you and help guide you into who you know, God's created you to be. And that might look a little different than who your parents thought you were supposed to be or your you know, great aunt or your uncle. It's, yeah. It's, it's a song about saying you are lovable because you were created in God's image. And so if someone that you are close to, that you love, is not showing that to you, then that, I, don't, I don't want someone to think that's Jesus. It's not. And so you're, you're, your parents might be wrong or, you're, you know, or maybe they're just misguided or maybe they're just insecure or maybe they're just confused. And, and you know, but hey, you might be wrong too, but it's just... Yeah. Not loving each other is just not, that's never an answer. It's just never an answer. And so you can quote me on that. So when I have a teenage son doing stupid stuff, you can say, Tiffany, you said just to love him. You know, <laughs> say, okay, I love you. It's like every day, no matter what you do today, good or bad, we still love you. And um, uh, I'll, I'll play it back when I do stupid stuff. Right. <laughs> just, so, just so I'm reminded. Yeah. Well, that's unlovable. Um, and then, well, I think cage might go along with that a little bit, isn't it? When you're trying to find somebody, trying to find a way to fit in a little bit, and, and feeling misunderstood. 
Well, Cage was uh, kind of about me. I, I, it was a combination of, of three things, kind of. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, yes. Yeah. Uh, my friend Joy, who wrote on Invisible, um, she and I had a bit of a falling out at one point, and it was because I had a very knee-jerk reaction to a comment that I made, and, and I honestly said, I did a very stupid thing. I, I sh we should have went to coffee to talk about something, and I ended up just sending a quick Facebook message to her over something that was very, it was not thoughtful, and um, it, would not, it was not as, as informed as it should have been. And it was just, it was with good intention, because I love her, but after I did it, it really, it really hurt our friendship. And, um, and so obviously I apologized, and she said she forgave me, and we've communicated since and are very, very civil, but we're not, we're not the friends that we were. Um, mm -hmm. And so I literally started off, I did a very, I did a really stupid thing. I really messed up big time, please forgive me. And it started to unravel into how I I do this often, like I put my foot in my mouth. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I have this image, so that's the second part, like it, was, it started out about being sort of trying to own what stupid thing I said to my friend Joy, but of how I, I, am, I am kind of like that often and I need to work on it, but of how um, my husband, I overheard him telling my bass player one time, because my bass player was dating a girl who he had just said, affectionately he's like oh she's crazy and I love her and my husband said well I'm married to crazy but I've learned that I love crazy and hmm. and almost seeing like a um, an affection for okay some of the things that I recognize in myself as flawed make it a little bit endearing to my husband and so in the in the in the chorus when I say um, so don't try to cage me or save me I'm a wild thing I'm a creature and I need to love for a wild thing I've got issues, that's for sure, but it's why you kind of like me. I know it, boy. Um, <laughs> so it's like, to some extent, there's things that I need to work on, but to another extent, there are certain things that do make you, you, and you don't need to be right. too caught up in trying to be someone you're not. And I had this very, very clear picture. I'm a huge Audrey Hepburn, band, Audrey Hepburn fan, and she, in Breakfast at Tiffany's, is sitting in the backseat of a cab with George Papard, and he says, I love you. And she says, love is a cage. I'm a wild thing. And he says, um, I don't want to cage you. I want to love you. And she gets out and she, she runs off and she's chasing after this cat that she said she didn't even care about. And he runs after her. And in that moment, I was very much reminded of how my husband knows how to let me fly. And he also knows when to bridle me back. It's like he recognizes that I'm a little bit of a wild thing, but at the same time he loves me enough to say, you've gone too far. And I don't care if you don't want to hear this, but you've just gone too far. And and so it, he shows me, to, and I see George Pappard in that film be that way with her, that everyone else in the movie, if, if anyone has seen that movie, they just do whatever Holly Golightly wants. They do whatever mm -hmm. she says, they give her whatever she wants, they let her take advantage of them, um, and just never change and George Papard really really loves her to the point where he's willing to let her be who she is but when she goes beyond who he believes is healthy he loves her enough to lose her and say that you're not acting okay 
And so all of that made up cage of like, okay, I did something stupid, which is indicative of how I can be sometimes. <laughs> I've got a husband who sometimes loves it about me, you know, in certain ways, but then other ways challenges me to change. And then I saw Audrey and George in the back of this cab and I was like, Whammo. that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to write about. So that, that's cage. Well, I, I thought chocolate and ice cream would be your kid's favorite song, but no. You know, I, I, they love it, but one drop, <laughs> one drop is their, their catchy, their catchy hit. But chocolate and ice cream is a play-by-play uh, -play of my husband and I, and I'm, I'm at peace now saying when we separated um, before we were reconciled, that was the one song that if the record was able to come out, um, depending on what happened with us, if it actually came out, that was the song that I was going. That and Beautiful were two songs that I was actually pulling off the record. Right. Because sure. I, I didn't know how I could have the capacity to perform a song live about my husband so that was so quirky and sweet and cute and funny and... And by the way, we're divorced. You know, I, I just yeah, didn't right. think that would really sell the song. Uh, so, but fortunately, we obviously reconciled, and so now that song, I I love doing it. But it's it's just how different we are. But we we go perfectly together, just like chocolate and ice cream, and um, we are very, very, very different. And I think probably my very, very closest friend, Melissa, uh, this is probably one of her favorite songs because she sees, she knows us so well. And so the truth in it is very endearing to her of like, man, I mean, you absolutely, Jeremy always knows where he's going and you are always lost. You're always forgetting, you know, and you know, I'm always cold and he's always like, oh man, turn the air conditioning on, I'm burning up. And uh, just everything about it. And I love, I mean, every lyric is 100% a literal, true that's one of the few songs that i've ever written that is literally literal it's mm -hmm. jeremy this is jeremy and tiffany lee and we are chocolate and we're ice cream and um and I, I like ice cream and he likes some chocolate but i'm not a huge ice like if i have anything to choose from it's ice cream is probably my last dessert that i would choose and chocolate is definitely his mm. last and so it's just funny that i would always pick chocolate and he would always pick ice cream like hands down that would be his first thing to choose in mine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just I wrote it was probably one of the quickest writes. Yeah, and I literally just hit C, dun 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 e e e e e, and I was like, this is if if I can write this on piano, anyone can write a song. So. Yeah. Well, isn't the um, is the direct? I guess I'm wondering where I don't deserve you comes in. Is it is it really f about? Are we in God's world now? Um, for for someone who is familiar with my Blink record that I wrote, a song called In My Arms, um, if they're not familiar, they should check that out. But um, I wrote a song called In My Arms on my Blink record that was inspired by my son Solomon. And it was really interesting how I was truly writing about him as my muse, and it sounded like I was writing, I mean, it just paralleled God's love to us, just like my love for my son. And I Don't Deserve You is actually about my son Oliver. Um, that he literally is the sweetest Dennis the Menace you've ever met. Um, he has bumps and bruises and is very, very risk-taking and wants to try things on his own and um, isn't by nature directly disobedient as much as he is a risk-taker and an adventurer. And, um, and that independence in him sometimes just from the, from the top
time he could crawl, we knew that we had some work on our hands. And what's interesting is he's, he's he just turned six, and um, the way he's developed and the way he's turned out has given us so much hope. Um, because when he was like one and two, I literally feared for his life. And when he was three years old, he got up at six in the morning, unlocked the, the door to the, the house. Um, he had a step stool and unlocked the door. We're sound asleep. No one hears this. <laughs> and walked across the street to a neighbor's house, who we fortunately were friends with. But he rang their doorbell, woke them up. The father came to the door and saw this three-and-a-half-year-old little boy standing there. And he was like, hey, uh, Mr. Pat, don't say the S word. And, of course, Mr. Pat thought he meant what everyone else is probably thinking when they hear me say the S word. And so he leaves, but then he comes back and rings their doorbell again. And he says, bye. Just want to say bye. And he was like, Oliver, are you sleepwalking? Like, you're not supposed to be out. It's 6 in the morning. Like, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed So he watched him walk home, and he's like, you need to go home right now. Mr. Pat will watch you. And so he watched him walk home and then called us later that day. Um, and the only reason that we knew he did it before Pat even called us was because his uh, shoes were sitting by the door covered in, you know how the dew makes the grass really wet. And yeah. so he had grass and leaves or whatever all over his boots. And we were like, when did you... When did this happen? And he's like, oh, I went out this morning. And we're like, what? What do you mean you went out this morning? And so we weren't really sure he was telling the truth or what he meant because he was, you know, three. And Pat calls us and he says, are you guys awake now? And I was like, yeah, it's probably eight o'clock. And he's like, well, a couple hours ago, Oliver knocked on our door and he said to not say the S word. And I was like, he left the house. Like he unlocked the door and crossed yeah. the street and woke you up. And, he, and then what did he say? And he told me and I said, he means stupid. They're not supposed to say stupid, and he refers to that as the S word. And Pat was like, well, I was kind of like, do you use that language with your kids? And I was like, no, 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 yeah. no. And he meant stupid. And and so what, what's interesting is that two days later, he did the same exact thing. So we had, um, we had new locks installed that were really high, almost like hotel, like the, the tall right. um, chain locks where he couldn't get to them because I was like, you know, this, this will not always be this way. But right now, right. we can't risk him doing right. this because we didn't hear him do that. And But just anything, if you yeah. can hear that story, then just run with it. Because those are that's what he's done with so many different things. But, but what I'm trying to paint the picture of is just with this really sweet spirit and not really a defiant, ugly attitude. He's just really, really curious and independent and that kind of thing. And so um, I wrote the song because... I think his behavior pushes me to my limits sometimes, and I and I'm very challenged in my behavior with him because I will um, I kind of almost question my sanity at times when I'm I'm dealing with something maybe he's done. And I remember this is when he was a little younger, but he colored a whole hallway with crayons while I was on the phone, and and they were just all over the wall. And I was kind of like, okay, he he knows this is wrong, and so I'm trying to not overreact but I'm still trying to respond to the fact that my child has done something wrong and not kill his spirit and also not kill him and so um, <laughs> and so he's just been my like I said he's just this really sweet Dennis the Menace and so um, because of that I've had my most not proud mom moments with him where I've kind of lost it like in my tone of voice or in my discipline not not a, obviously not abusing him or anything but I've just 
literally, you know, just some of the things I've said or the way that I've responded yeah. and just, I mean, one time he squirt, he squirted milk out of this little Horizon milk um, thing, you know, like the little juice boxes, but it's milk. And yeah. he squirted it all over the van yeah. after I had just said, please be careful with this. And he literally shot it all over the place. So I opened it up and dumped it out onto his head and turned the air conditioning on right on him. And so he's crying because he's got milk all over him. He's crying because he's cold. And and I pull into a Jiffy Lube and I'm like, do you want to go home with that man over there? And I, I pretend that I'm going to give him away. <laughs> and so he cries the whole way home and I end up putting him into a cold shower. And of course it turned warm, but the first few seconds it was cold. And I mean, he's screaming and I was like, what is wrong with me? And I just completely overreacted. Um, 100% and I had to apologize to him but it's like those moments where when I, I, I went that far and had that not proud of a moment and I look at this little boy and I'm like it's not okay that you were squirting milk all over the van but it's really not okay for mommy to overreact like that and I'm really sorry and I need you to forgive me and in one split second he's got my face in his hands and he's like I love you mom I forgive you and and he means that and he has said things like when you get really old I'll take care of you I'll even wipe your bottom like, he said that before, and you're like, because he identifies elderly people sometimes need to wear diapers, and because he has he had a very, very old great-grandmother who needed some help like that, and so he identified that when you're really, really old, yeah. you might actually need to be taken care of as if you were a baby, and, and but he wasn't even being funny. I mean, he was just so serious about it. He's like, I'll even wipe your bottom, Mom, and I was like, you know what? You probably would, and so I see God's love and God's forgiveness in him. And I just, I, at times when I'm literally pushed to my limit and, and I've literally had to walk away from him to just count to 10 so I don't say or do something I regret, he's already coming after me and wanting to reconcile. And I just don't feel like I deserve him. He's got a built-in magnet that is just infectious and he's sweet and he's kind and he's taught me so much and challenged me so much in my faith. Um, that as much as he has pushed me to my limits, he's actually been one of the best things in my life. Um, and I feel like I actually know yeah. God better because of that little boy because I've actually had to get on my knees more about him, of like, please help me to know how to steer him the right way. And um, because my, my top, my, my, very, my first and my third are by nature a little more obedient than he can be. And they're not as risk-taking and they're not as... But there's a sweetness in him. You know, all of my children tend to be very sweet, but he's probably my sweetest, sweetest child, even yeah. though he's mm -hmm. the stinker sometimes. But anyway, so it's, it's about Oliver. And again, just yeah. like the song I referred to a minute ago about my son Solomon that I wrote about on Blink, I wrote this about Oliver, and you think that I'm talking about God. Yeah. And it's like, it's just interesting how those really pure, innocent relationships can parallel God's unconditional love for us. So, Well, and how we can see that love through kids. I mean, to watch kids get upset with their other friends and then two minutes later, playing together. Yeah, like it never happened. And we're Decade. holding on to it for Decades, two weeks, sometimes. two months. Yeah. Two years and so for he's, always. Yeah. I, I wish everyone... It's crazy. I wish everyone could know him. Like, he's just... He's the, ch he's the kind of child... Yeah. I mean, again, I don't have a favorite and I love all of my children individually and differently, but... Oliver has something very, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he is, 
public when he's a, when he's a grown up. Like I feel like my son Solomon could right. be a producer or something behind the scenes, very engineer like, very inventive. My daughter is a super caregiver and very comfortable socially, very very talkative, very social butterfly, but not really craving the spotlight. Whereas Oliver is very comfortable getting in front of up in front of anyone and, and doing anything. And so I just feel like maybe God is going to use him to really. I don't know, really share the gospel in a certain kind of way that, you know, he, he'll be able to say, I've done some stupid stuff, you know, and, and God's right. protected me and, and my mom had to pray for me a lot. But yeah, so I, I, this is, that song is very precious to me. Yeah. It's probably my favorite song overall on this whole record, just because it's about him and how, how much it, it does resemble God's and our relationship too, so... Well, it's it's such a cool song, and isn't it a? It's kind of a whacked out video, though, isn't it, with Paul Van Dyke? It is Paul Van Dyke's version. Um, that is the Paul Van Dyke version featuring me. Um, that is out. If I were to make a video for my record, um, it would be absolutely yeah. entirely different. His was more about because his Paul Van Dyke's style of of trance and EDM music is more about the emotion and and the being in the moment of it and so he just wanted something that was interesting to watch and the video has absolutely nothing to do with the song and so it was just more about putting this kind of interesting scenario like you know what did she do because in the, in the video I have a gunshot wound and you're like how did she get shot are they running from the law or they did they is he rescuing her like there's just a lot of questions and it just makes people want to watch it more right so in turn they're listening to the song more but it was really more about just setting mm. the music to something interesting to watch they don't really have anything to do with each other mm. so I'm, I'm waiting for that interview that's like so I, I totally get the metaphorical meaning of the <laughs> and I'm going to have to like shoot them down and go I'm so sorry but the, the video actually has no artistic correlation to the actual song it was just you know but um, but it is interesting and um, I'm sure you could find some sort of metaphor in there but I would love to make yeah. I would love to make a video about the song from my perspective, um, just the the purity of that. But anyway, yeah. Hey, there is one song on Blink I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Well, there's not one, but the one I am going to ask you about is Me. Because what a simple thing that I've probably said. You know, I wouldn't trade I, w I wouldn't trade your love for all the candy in this great big world. I mean, what a Me is beautiful innocent thing to say. I, I have a hard time still listening to me without getting emotional, so I don't really listen to it all that often. Because when I do, I just get all. Ugh. But um, <laughs> but I I wrote it from the perspective of where I was at that moment. I was a very new mother, and it was like I haven't had a chance to sleep. I've hardly eaten. I don't remember when I've yeah. showered. I finally get to bed and you call out for me and I'm just like, oh, just go to bed. And you're just, you're just so tired and you're just so overwhelmed as a new mommy and depleted. And then they cry for you and, and then it was like a light switch went on and was like, their world is made completely perfect and at peace just by my presence, by my touch, by my pillow, whatever. Like if they are in my bed or if I'm laying in theirs and... And just almost realizing that all of the responsibility of motherhood pales in comparison to the privilege of being their actual mother. And so that song was, in fact, my friend Krista, who actually wrote Need You Now with me, um, mm. she wrote that with me. And um, her daughter, Sophia, was, mine were much younger. Like I had, um, I think I was pregnant with Oliver, and then Solomon was 
maybe about 16 months when I was writing it. And she said, well, explaining to her daughter Sophia how she loved her, like how much she loved her. And she said, I know this sounds really just shallow. She said, but Sophia loves candy. Like she loves it. She could, like we have to literally hide the candy in the house because she will sneak it. She will even risk getting in trouble over it. She loves candy. And Sophia, who at the time I think was maybe four, uh, she had asked Krista, like, how much do you love me? And Krista said, and it just came to me. And I was like, I love you more than all the candy. And she said, and Sophia got it. It was like, you love me more, like, if all the candy in the whole world, and you would still love me more than that. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, Krista, that's the line. Like, yeah. I wouldn't trade your love for all the candy in this great big world. Like, that. that's it. And so, um, so Sophia was the inspiration behind that moment of, kind of trying to connect it where a child would actually understand it but it's written for a mom i mean i wrote it for yeah. the mom to say just remember they're going to be very little for very short a time and the privilege of being their parent should really it should pale in comparison to all the responsibilities like those responsibilities should be welcomed because you get to be their mother and that's just a privilege and so i again i wrote a song to hold myself accountable to so that when I'm getting overwhelmed with my kids, I can be like, hey, I would trade your love <laughs> for all the kids. So, yeah, cur currently it would probably say, um, I wouldn't trade your love for all the iPods in this great big world. Because my boys my bo boys both have a, a little iPod that has music and a few right. educational apps on it. And they just think those are the greatest thing ever. And so it's like, I love you more than the iPods. And they're like, really? Yeah. No. It doesn't sing quite as well. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Well, I mean, being a mom is such a huge thing, so I love it that you're doing that. And I, but you know, there's a part of me that thinks, well, I wonder if you're going to tour on faster than a bullet. But wait a minute, you're a mom, and I don't want you to tour. But wait a minute, I'm a fan, so I want you to tour. So yeah, you know. Well, I have that. I mean, I have that same struggle of I love to perform, but I also love being with my kids. I love to perform. I love being with my kids, and so um, I have made a very open commitment to God about opportunities to perform I am so not opposed to at all I'm not a anti-touring artist but I don't really chase after or seek it out and it and when it is offered to me to do something um, it really has to make sense for my family or it's just overall so I think not to over spiritualize this but God's been really faithful to provide um, things like usages in film and television and movies. Right. I mean, film, television, and uh, commercials, that's what I meant to say. Uh, film, television, commercials, um, and on other artists' records and things like that and collaborations. Like, even in the dance market, like anything I collaborate on, they're out playing shows and playing that song live. Um, and, and I'm not even there. Um, for instance, Paul Van Dyke. And I'm still getting an income from that because wow. of my participation. And so I have several different means, and radio, of course, playing the singles, but I have several means of income that way without actually having to get in a van and a trailer and be gone from my children. Right. And so I just, I think that commitment that I made to God, I've just said, I, I really want to be faithful with my gift that you gave me, but I also know that you don't want me to be away from my kids all the time. And so um, I uh, just recently, I don't know if it's happening, but it was just offered... Um, they're trying to work out some details for me and a couple of other artists to go together and do 
um, about 15 dates together over the course of five or six weeks where they're over the weekends mm-hmm. and um, and there is a bus and so we could I could kind of alternate different different ones of my kids that could that they could come out and so um, but it wouldn't be like a, a lifestyle it would be basically trying to go to the key radio markets that are being so embracing of the single and some of the major cities and um, trying to cover a good 15 right. of them as opposed to wanting to do a 50 city tour or do a sure. two, 200 city something or other and just and being able to go to the festivals and those are usually kind of one-offs where you can kind of actually take your whole family and go to the festival and come home and right. and just not making being away from them a way of life but being still willing to do things that make sense so I am willing and planning to tour but just not yeah, thanks a ton for the time you are so welcome So it's long, and I never knew it. I was taken on a plum trip she never planned. There was no pictures to show. There were no pictures to show, no video taken, just the songs that she had written in advance of life. Faith is an amazing thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reals. I know you're searching. Don't, don't stop. Keep on scouring lyrics and songs and movies and books and anywhere you can find inspiration. Because, and I know I'm still wrestling with this, you are worthy of love and a great life. Give and get. Listen in and share the goodness. I sign off sincerely, comma, Frank Jenks, questioner, interviewer, searcher, hoper. <laughs>